A double OT thriller in Game 7, a monster shutout by Rask, and an offside call that went against Gabe Landeskog was the difference in three teams advancing to Round 3 and a few others hitting the golf course. We break down what happened towards the end of Round 2 and what it means for three teams heading into the season. Plus, we fix the NHL awards. Episode 171 of the Lace Mop Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, today on the show, we have a very special guest joining us. For those of you who don't know what I do for a living, I'm a radio producer with News Talk 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I occasionally talk sports when the host permits me to, as it is not a sports station, but my role is nevertheless important. Uh, The same goes for today's guest, who has the same roles and responsibilities on the Morning Rush with Bill Carroll, which airs weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 580 CFRA. His name is Brian Fraser, like me, he is a Sens fan, and he is joining us on the show right now. Brian, welcome aboard. Uh, did I give you a proper intro? Is there anything yeah. I missed? No, that was, uh, that was a pretty good hype up. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, glad to have you. Excellent. Uh, yeah, no, this now, should be... Um, um, we don't do... Sorry, go, Steve. Yeah. We, uh, we, we, we don't do hockey trivia when guests are on, but I'm going to surprise you with some hockey trivia if you Uh-oh. don't want me doing this, Brad. Uh, we usually delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia, but we're changing it up to some World Hockey Championship trivia. If you paid attention to the World Hockey Championships to date, you will know the answer to this question. Okay. Team Finland has scored seven goals. Team Finland has scored seven goals in its first two games in this year's tournament. How many has Capo Caco scored? At least four, right? I'm going to go seven because there's only one reason why you would mention that. <laughs> he has not scored seven goals. There's no way. <laughs> How many? I don't know. So, so, Brett, so, Brett, you say seven. Brian, you're going with four? I'm going with four. Correct answer is five. Oh. Ah, I was closest. Price you win, yeah, you win the Price is Right rules yeah. there. It, it should be noted, though, that two of them were empty netters. So if you want to call legit goals, it was three. Okay. But he has scored five of the seven. So if I if I had thought about it, I would have I would have changed my answer. But it's all right. He's gonna look great yeah. in a Rangers jersey next year. I just want yeah. to say that. <laughs> he may. I mean, yeah, uh, well, he could be on like the Devils. You never know. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, Mike, I was about to say the Rangers are gonna the Rangers and Devils rivalry is gonna be back again. Yeah, I know. With those two juggernauts at the helm. Yeah. Back um, in a big way. Anyways, uh going going to more of the current hockey being played right now, we're into the conference finals. Uh Brett, uh are you gonna start off with your Bruins here? Yeah, we're yeah, so uh I was gonna lead that in, but you you basically uh things are all that um yeah, the conference finals are here we'll uh, talk about the all the the three series that we missed last week or that ended last week 
Um, but we're first going to start with um, the two conference finals series that's happened so far. Um, the Bruins, we'll start with my Bruins here. Um, they face the, they're, they're going to face the Hurricanes uh, today or, you know, uh, for the next couple of games. Um, game one was on uh, Thursday um, and then they're playing again on Sunday. Uh, by the time this, this is put out, you'll, you'll know the results of game two, because that's, um, that's going to happen at three right now, but we're recording this at noon. Um, so we're not going to be able to see that, but, um, but anyways, we can, uh, we can sort of like recap what happened in game one. Um, and our, just our general thoughts and predictions of that series. Um, yeah, the game one of Carolina Boston wasn't actually, um, it was pretty exciting actually. Um, the, you know, it started off with Steve Camfer, uh, scoring within, like it was in the first two minutes of the game. Um, and then almost right away, like the next minute. Sebastian Ajo gets this goal. Um, I think it was like a tip-off uh, from Shevchnikov. I can't pronounce that name. Um, Shevchnikov. And then in the second period, uh, there was only one goal that happened, and that was from Greg McKegg. Um, this one was this one got me very upset. Where I was like, I was just emailing Steve nonstop because I was so upset about it. Yeah. Uh, because what happened was, uh, um, I forget the defenseman who hit him, but, um, anyways, uh, Greg McKegg shoots the puck, um, and it was like, he was crashing the net, um, to the point where he literally, uh, crashed right into Tuka Rask. The thing is, is that when he shot it, it went, uh, right into the puck, into the goal, um, like before he hit Rask. Um, my, my own perspective was, um, I know that Steve has a different opinion of this, but my own perspective was that that should have still been called goal interference. I know, um, like the puck was in before contact was made, but at the same time, like I felt like Tuca didn't have a chance to even, um, get like get a chance to save it like it like the puck went in because like Tuca's like skate hit it um but it was one of those things where I was just like I was furious about that just because of how ugly it was um but I guess it I and I was also upset because I didn't know that the Bruins were gonna come back and score four goals which is what happened um in the third period but um but I was just upset that that was that was potentially going to be the game-winning goal there, um, and it was just such an ugly goal that I I was just very upset about it. But um, at the same time, like I, I I get what Steve was saying, which was and what a lot of people were saying is that um, the puck did go in, but like it, it's just unfortunate because it it just so happened that contact was made. Uh, with Tuca sit there. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts that you guys had on that goal in particular? Not really. It looked 
it looked pretty clean to me. I mean, it, yeah, he's knocked into Rask and knocked the net off, but by the rule, it went in, and mm-hmm. I don't think it, there was any. It wasn't like there he, McKay had anywhere else to go. Right. When he crashes the net like that, so I, I like the call. I would, I could, I expected them to overturn it, given how inconsistent the officiating has been. Yeah, that was surprising. Basically, since referees have been in sports, they're just so bad. But I, I think they got the call right on that one. It was one of those things where I could see both sides of the argument. I'm I'm not as dead set on, you know, whether it was a goal or not. I can I can see both sides. Yeah. That's, oh, definitely. That's what I can say. I, I I can see why it's goalie interference. I can also see why they call it a goal. Yeah, it was. Anyway, just, I, if I was a Bruins that, that, fan, that's I wouldn't my, be happy. That's my general reaction. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I wasn't happy for sure. Um, but I, of course, I'm biased, so I can't really speak. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little. I, 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 I think if it was our set on that side of the, on on that side of it, Brian, I think both of us would have a right to be upset about that. But. Well, the Sens only get screwed on quick whistles. That's the only right. I, that's all that happens <laughs> to them. So, like goalie interference calls, yeah. usually neither here nor there for the Sens. But anyways, uh, that yeah, goal well, did. Goalie, oh, sorry. goalie interference. Like, does anyone still know what goalie interference? No, is no one does. No. Same like court. with pass interference in football. Um, Oh, don't even get yeah. me started. Or what's a catch? <laughs> I'm a New Orleans oh, yeah, Saints fan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, really that works. Yeah. 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 That call was I, garbage. I, that's, one, that's one thing I didn't tell Brett before this podcast. Don't bring up the Saints and that controversial call. That I guess so, yeah. All right, now I know. Now I know. We'll uh, we'll get back to it. I'll, I'll just only refer to baseball because I know you're a Red Sox fan and that, yeah, that's... Maybe. Yeah. That that's how we'll bond. That's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, third period. Um, but I mean, anyways, that it was an ugly goal, but it ended up not mattering because in the third period, Marcus Johansson uh, gets a goal almost right away. Then Patrice Bergeron gets a power play goal. Um, oh, by the way, Dougie Hamilton. Speaking of being screwed, Dougie Hamilton shouldn't have been. Uh, he was called for roughing. Um, and then interference later on. Um, but those, like, both those penalties, I, I wouldn't have called those. Um, the, the Hurricanes got screwed there, I felt like. Um, but anyways, uh, and, right. yeah. I don't know if it was on the same play as one of the Hamilton penalties where a Bruin, I can't remember who it was, clearly interfered with a Hurricanes yeah. player right in front of the Bruins bench, and they didn't call it. Yep. So I and I think it led to one of these power play goals that you're talking about. So if I was yeah. a Hurricanes fan, I would be furious about that too. Um and there yeah, that that's true. Yeah. The, like, the like Bruins got away with a couple there. Officiating uh, on both sides. So. Yeah, and then there was um I remember I think it was in the first there was like an obvious slew foot on um I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there was an obvious slew foot that uh was not called. Uh, in the first, oh, it was like crew got slew footed, um, and they didn't call that um, in the first period. But um, yeah, so there was definitely penalties that um, that on both sides that were that were either called that shouldn't have or weren't called that should have. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the Bruins got a break there um, on on both Dougie Hamilton's penalties. I felt like. Um, 
And it was also kind of interesting considering there's some history with Dougie and the Bruins fan base. Um, yeah, which is so weird, by the way. Like, not that this is like important, but Dougie Hamilton never did anything wrong in Boston. I don't know um, why they don't like him. He, I mean, he. Play awesome. He, the only thing he did wrong is that he didn't want to be a Bruin, uh, very clearly. Because uh, the Bruins offered him the same... I forget if it was the same amount or more than Calgary eventually signed him to. Um, but what ended up happening was the Bruins were kind of forced to trade him because he didn't want to be in Boston. Uh, like, I think it was like... Like it was like three, like he uh, signed for like a four-year, eight million deal, which um in Calgary, let's just say that is. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, and the Bruins offered that same amount, and but he signed that same one in Calgary. So that's where uh, people get Bruins fans are angry at Dougie just because it's like, oh, he didn't want to be a Bruin. I mean, there's definitely more to that. I feel like because he, uh, there were like reports that he like he didn't get along with Claude Julian, who was the coach at the time, and he didn't get along with a lot of the players there. But, um, but either way, it was very clear that he just didn't want to be a a Bruin. Um, at they the didn't point. do very well in that trade either. I just looked no. it up. They got two picks. No. I mean, that was uh, my my bigger issue, but yeah. Uh, you could have gotten a lot more out of Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, um, the 15th overall pick, which sure. turned into former Smith Falls Bears, Zach Sedition. Yep. Who was at no point ever a first-round pick. Ever, nope. Ever, ever, ever. Um, but I mean, I, although I did hear that the – I think there was like a report that the Leafs were going to take him – um that doesn't surprise me yeah but like later on so that's why the bruins picked seneshin because they wanted him um still yeah i still have some patience for him but yeah at least jake debrusque is pretty good anyways the borrow not so much no 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 anyways we're getting a little sidetracked here um (laughs) marcus johansson and patrice bergeron get power play goals um, in the first uh, couple of minutes of the third period. And then Charlie Coyle uh, gets uh, an empty netter. And then Chris Wagner scores a couple minutes after that later on in the period. So anyways, the Bruins... that Wagner goal was, by the way. Yeah, yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mrazek's got to stop that one. I don't think the empty net goal was a backbreaker. The Wagner goal definitely was. Well, I mean, it was four, five, two at that point, but yeah. Um, yeah. It was like the game was kind of over after, after that, uh, after Coyle's goal, anyways. Um, but um, yeah, no, that but that that does speak to a larger part that just as a whole of this series, I think the defense are like are pretty much stacked up. Um, we'll get to Charlie McAvoy in a second. Um, but like they're pretty much even. Uh, you know, Carolina has Slavin, Falk. Um, Dougie, um, and then, uh, and Brett Pesci is decent as well. And then the Bruins have, you know, Chara McAvoy, uh, Kevin Miller, who has his spots, um, as well. And so those, the defenses are pretty even, uh, forwards, I would give the slight edge to the Bruins. Um, but, and then it, the, the biggest advantage the Bruins have over the Hurricanes is their goaltending, 
Uh, Tuka Rask has been phenomenal this whole entire playoff series. Um, I'm hoping that it continues. Um, I think it will, but um, but the, the biggest question mark for Carolina is, is will Morazic be the guy, um, especially with his injury history um, last series that took him away for part of the games um, in uh, against the Islanders. But, you know, like, will McElhaney, um, if he ever starts, will he be the guy too? So they're kind of inconsistent yeah. there, um, even as a tandem. It got them this far, but it's it may not be enough. So uh, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts or, or predictions for this series? Well, like, I wake up so early in the morning so i haven't i didn't actually see the game so i watched the highlights before we started recording just yep. so i i at least got a little bit of a feel for the game and i thought mm-hmm. oh five two yikes hurricanes mm-hmm. really got waxed by the bruins but if you watch the game that's really not what happened yeah the Bru- the bruins took advantage of some power plays early in the third and an empty net goal and then a kind of bad goal at the very end we're talking about a vastly different game it was really you could argue that the score was way, way not indicative of what the game actually was. The Hurricanes did not get schooled. They hung in there every step of the way and dominated in the shot count for most of the game, as, as far as I could tell. I, What you mentioned there is the biggest question for me is goaltending. Peter Mrazek has been unbelievable, but if he goes down again, God, even though he was so good, out of his mind good in the last round against the Islanders. It's like how much are you really going to roll into battle with Curtis McElhenney and not clench up a little bit, like a little bit nervous? That's how I would feel. Yeah. I just I don't know, man. I just think that the Hurricanes I love the story. I love the bunch of jerks. I love what they're doing. But it's the Bruins, man. The Bruins... (laughs) are just this beast that you that is so tough to take down and especially in the playoffs it's like it's like the penguins like if you could take down the penguins i feel like you have as good a shot as any yeah but and man, they're in they're in real tough but if they win today who knows like if they, if they tied the series at one who knows? Because they did not look like passengers in this conference final game one, at least from what I'm, I saw, which is not what I expected. So, expected you, so you expect this to be a, a long series? or? I would say so. I, I don't think it'll go seven. Okay. If it goes seven, I'm going to give the edge to the Hurricanes because I think that suits them better to wear down okay. and get yeah. everyone a little more tired. Yeah, I could see that. But And like, if it goes game seven... The X factor is clearly Justin Williams. Justin Williams yeah. is gonna do something crazy because that's what He's he good. does. That is what he does. That's that's just what he does. So like, I'm not gonna play into some mythical nonsense and say the Bruins better pray it doesn't go Game Seven. They're right. still Bruins. But even if like, God forbid, if Tuka Rask goes down, you still got Yaroslav Halak out there, who I saw some Bruins fans screaming to be the starter yeah, for a while back. Those are idiots. So, but yeah, like, they, they, <laughs> I agree. But they they have some yeah. a bit more i'll say confidence in their depth yeah and they've got like you said the d is pretty even and they have forwards and players that have been there patrice bergeron's the best defensive set forward in the game and he just shines 
Marshawn just shines in the playoffs. Pasternak is making a name for himself big time. I don't know, man. It's going to be pretty even. I really don't know, but I was expecting going into this series that the Bruins might beat the crap out of the Hurricanes, and that's definitely not what happened. The Hurricanes are no joke. Yeah, the Hurricanes aren't going to be an easy out for sure. Definitely uh, not. Steve, what is is this a fair assessment? Steve? Did we lose Steve? Did we lose Steve? Here. I was wondering why there he didn't is. step in. <laughs> I, oh, there he is. Honestly, right. I'm like, they're pretty much what Brian said, to be, to be perfectly honest. Like, it was for the most part a one goal game. Yeah. Game one was pretty much a one goal game. Could have gone either way. Um,. I, I think this is a series like most of the playoffs is going to be separated by a couple of goals. I think it's going to be a lot like um, the Islanders, Hurricanes, where it's going to be a lot of one-goal contests, and then one of these teams is just going to open up the floodgates, and that's all she wrote. Yeah. Um, I think it could very easily come down to a few bounces here, and um, – not not just invade of who wins game one or two or three, but I think the entire series is just going to come down to a few bounces overall. Um, and I think if 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 Boston needs to beat Carolina, they need more of that quick strike offense. You need to attack the Hurricanes in ways in order to beat them, because as the Caps and Islanders found out the hard way, if you give Carolina enough breathing room and you let them hang around, you are going to have some serious problems. Uh, for Carolina, stay disciplined. Stay out of the box. Don't take yourselves out of the hockey game against these Bruins because they're deadly on the power play. And if you give them a chance to bury you, they will do exactly that, yep. especially with that top line starting to deliver again. Um, for this to be an easier series for the Bruins, they need to win game two because if they go into Carolina and they drop two in a row, Worst case scenario, best of three going back to Boston. I like their chances. Okay. But if Carolina takes game two and, and they take care of business at home, which they have done so far, they haven't lost at home in these playoffs, um, it, it, it could be very tough for Boston because then they'd be going home facing elimination and they'd be doing that for three straight games um, at the max. Um, the good news is... Columbus was just as raucous of a crowd as the Hurricanes, but the Bruins weren't um, – they, they didn't let that affect them. Yep. They lost in game three, but won game four and six inside enemy territory. Tuka Rask has also been improving, which bodes well for them. So um, I, I, I definitely think the Bruins have the edge, but if this starts to be a case of – Boston's starting to get worn down because of the series they had in Toronto, because of the series they had in Columbus. Yep. If they start to wear down and Carolina starts to get their feet moving, uh, the the I, I can see the Bruins. I can see the Bruins losing this series. I I'm honestly prepared for anything in these playoffs now. Yeah, I'm they've been nuts. Again. This is the most unpredictable playoffs ever. Yeah, they've been uh, nuts. One, one thing I want to add on that Steven said that uh, I thought was a great point was uh, the quick strike offense. How many times in past Bruin playoff runs have we seen them pot two or three quick ones in the span of like three or four minutes? And yeah, I do think well, we, they we, used to, we saw it twice in less than a minute. 
Yeah. I think there is something about that stupid Bruins goal horn and that goal song <laughs> that is so infectious. And I think it yeah. takes you out like, Whoa, more than uh, any other uh, goal horn in hockey. I know that doesn't really mean anything, but just the atmosphere when the Bruins get a lead and expand on the lead, I think yeah. can throw you off. I think it's bad news. Oh, I hate it so much. It, it feels like all hope in the universe is getting sucked out. That's what we want. stupid goal song comes on. I hate it. I never thought... Usually people hate Marshawn or hate Chara or whatever. But I, I, I've never heard that people hate the Bruins just oh. because of their goal song. So. It lingers <laughs> because it, it's just... It's subtle and it makes you think. And it, and it it's just a, it's just a dance song. It's driving you crazy. That's the real reason why the Leafs choked in Game Seven. Just like, the goal, the goal song. Well, that's All seriously right. it. Like how, how defeated? Like if, if it was at home, like do you think that it's that? Like it's as deflating? No, it's when you hear that stupid horn. I mean, like three times in a row, and those fans are going crazy yep. at least Renee Rancourt's not there anymore <laughs> true true uh, I mean there is something like when the Blackhawks score I hate Chelsea yeah, Dagger exactly the same thing yeah yeah like the but, Canucks I don't know if you ever saw this it's just slow it's different for me just because I am a Bruins fan but yeah <laughs> they uh they went in the, some Vancouver TV station brought an iPod played Chelsea Dagger just the song and asked the Canucks what they thought about it, and all of them like threw the iPod across <laughs> across the locker room. That song gets in your head. I, yeah, I hate Chelsea Dagger, but okay. I, from from that perspective, I understand it. But uh, for me, I, I I can never get sick of that song. Um, no, it's understandable. <laughs> if, a, if, a, if a former Canucks player goes to prison, you, it's just a former torch. You just play that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good song, but uh, pro- probably if, you, if you're an enemy of the Hawks, you probably yeah, yeah. You, you, you'll probably never think of it the same way again. Um, sure anyways, uh, uh, we have a couple of other things. Speaking of Marsh, before we get to our predictions, I just have to talk about things that happened just before game one uh, that both involving the Bruins um, McAvoy uh, a blind side hits uh, Josh Anderson in game seven uh, he gets uh, it was a hit to the head Josh Anderson did end up being okay which is the best news ever um, but McAvoy the bigger story was well he ended up getting suspended f- for game one um, he probably would have been suspended uh, the next game, game seven, if there was one. Um, but um, the bigger story was is that in the game he only got two minutes, um, which um, even even a, a biased Bruins fan like me, um, I thought that was uh, too low of a penalty. He should have gotten five in a game. Um, I think there is something to, like, refs, um, like, since that Sharks, uh, Knights game seven, five minute penalty mishap, I think refs are too scared to call five minute penalties. The only difference between this one and the Pavelski hit, um, was that like Mac, this McAvoy hit, he deserved a five minute penalty. 
he just didn't get one um, versus the other one, which is the, the exact opposite. So, um, in fact, I, I heard one fan on Twitter, I saw one fan on Twitter making the argument that on that play, a two-minute minor in the rule book, a two-minute call has to be five-minute major. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think there is, like, some loophole in that sense, too. And also, like, early on in the series, and I was going crazy about this um, last last episode, like, Dean Kukon, um, like, hits Bacchus in a similar type of, uh, type of play as McAvoy, um, and he gets two games, uh, two minutes for that, and I thought that should be five minutes. Um, so, like... Both of them, both of those plays were pretty bad, but they were consistent in how bad they were just because they, but they both should have been five minutes in a game, but they both weren't. They were just two minutes. Well, and, and Cook didn't, didn't even get a suspension. He wasn't yeah. suspended a game. Right. I mean, yeah, that was frustrating, but I can understand um, McAvoy being suspended a game. It turned out it didn't matter because the Bruins ended up winning that, but McAvoy will be back in game two, which is... Uh, Good, good news for the Bruins because he's he's been the best defenseman for the Bruins uh, in this series, uh, for sure. Um, I hate that this is only a one-game suspension. Yeah. I thought that was crap. I thought it should have been at least three. Like, I, I understand. Like, I, I hate that they're just like, oh, we blew it again in game yep. seven again with Vegas and San Jose. So what? You're just going to not call anything now? Yeah. Like, I mean, I thought it was ridiculous. To... Oh, yeah, and, and to, to Brian's point, like, it, it's one thing, like, like the Pavelski, um, Eakin stuff, that's, that's, that's one thing, you know, if it's like accidental cross check, but yep. this is a headshot, a blindside yep. shot directly to the head, yeah. like textbook headshot, the stuff yeah. that you would think the NHL to... would be cracking down on, like, but... like, what are they looking at? Yeah. Like, I was... The most obvious headshot possibly ever. It was so bad. I do want to mention that I think I think even Josh Anderson or McAvoy said later. I don't know if this was his intention or not, or just to save face. But he uh, he said that he met he was aiming for Anderson's chest, um, but then Josh Anderson moved in the last second and it hit his head instead. Um, or that was Elisa's excuse. Um, I, I don't know. You can take that for what it uh -huh. is. But I don't, I don't even think that matters. Yeah. He still would have absolutely blindsided him, which True. still would have been a penalty. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, it's not like an excuse or anything. Um, the, the, thing with, the thing with, like, you know, like, I go back to the McDavid versus Letty in the regular season. Like, we all know Connor McDavid isn't a cheap shot artist. He would never do something like that. Mm -hmm. Make contact with that and get suspended anyway. Right. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure the NHL's of the mind, like, headshot's a headshot. He gets suspended no matter what. Yep. Doesn't matter Apparently if it's not. or not. You make contact with that and get suspended. Yep. Apparently not in the playoffs. Apparently not. Which this whole thing of rules are different in the playoffs is so stupid, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Yep. It's absolutely ridiculous. No, and you're it's you're not right. just in it's not just in hockey, but I think it's the worst in hockey. Like how many times in these playoffs or in any playoffs have you ever heard, Well, they're letting them play. Yeah. The refs have put the whistles away. 
it's so stupid just having a completely different set of rules <laughs> and like for the McAvoy one in particular the game was one nothing at that point yeah no it changed if they the lose entire arguably game arguably their best defenseman for the rest of that game we're maybe talking about an entirely different thing here yeah, for sure. Again, that's that's a whole lot of what ifs, but although I don't think McAvoy played a lot of minutes in the third, but yeah, no, you're, he yeah, was a big he, part. If he's playing zero minutes, that's yeah, that's, that's not good either. That may, and Columbus gets a five minute power play. They would have been down five defensemen too. Yeah, it would have been like, bad. I, I'm not convinced the brute or the Jackets don't score and possibly take the lead, but. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's they, not they really had, the they point. Had Forty shots in the game that game, game six. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just think that a lot. Like when they get it wrong, they get it. They get they just get it wrong all the time. They they rarely get it right. The only time they got it right was freaking Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Why is it that's the only one they got it right? That was absolutely the right call. Yep. It was a cheap, dirty hit. I would have suspended Pasternak as as well because I thought that elbow was or what was it a knee I thought that knee was garbage but like they looked at it thought he was it wasn't a knee whatever Kadri you're done for the series take a seat bud that was the right (laughs) call and I thought maybe we're gonna be harsher on this crap apparently not um and then um I'd feel remiss if we didn't talk about Marshawn's media um stuff um, yeah, speak, yeah, what speaking a, of bad reputation, eh? Yeah. What a jerk. Uh, I'll just recap this here. Uh, it's Kyle. I don't know how to pronounce his last Yoskis. name. Yasis. Yeah. Um, he, uh, yeah. So, uh, after Columbus, uh, or after the, the series was over, uh, Kyle Costas, Kost, um, interviews Marshawn. Marshawn's very, like, only says, like, one word or two words. Very Marshawn Lynch-esque. Um, and then it comes out later on, or just on Twitter, that the reason why Marshawn was so short with him or rude to him was because he, um, uh, like, early on in the series, Kyle asked him about if Marshawn, yeah, asked Marshawn if he would, was, if he I sharpened his blade. I, I saw it live. It yeah. happened uh, during the warm-up, the pregame skate for game two, because it was it was in regards to uh, Sam Atkinson. Atkinson's stick in game one. Yeah, so... absolutely did. It's not like there's any debate about that. He absolutely stepped on his stick no, no, in the but, face-off and chopped it right in half. But that wasn't the question. It was more, uh, he, Kyle asked if he was going to, sh- if he sharpened his blade, um so that he was going to do it again um and yeah, was, did you get your skate sharpened after game one yes yeah, basically hilarious yeah, right he was, he was trying to be funny and, and marshawn's just like yeah whatever. he's not having it um so i mean like but like he was also like you know he was professional uh, marshawn was professional because the uh, kyle did ask him one question beforehand um about pasternak and how good of a teammate he's been um and Marshawn like gave him credit and gave him like a couple sentences and then he went on to the if he sharpened his blade um I mean like just just from the outset if you just saw that one interview um you you I mean Marshawn was being the the asshole there um but on the other hand 
it's like just knowing that context you're like okay so they they don't have friendly banter there um you know i think it's it's one of those things that like i don't mind uh reporters messing around with um with players like that um but i feel like you have to have a rapport with with each other one and kind of like know the room and like like they were uh like Mar he was interrupting Marshawn's pregame ritual um so he was literally taking time out of his his like pregame schedule to to talk to him so like just like that that point of view i felt like it was more like you shouldn't be um like like you Kyle should have known at least to like read the room like just at least have some rapport with Marshawn to understand that he was able to like understand it or like he he was in on the joke or something like that but I'm going to disagree with that and here's why I don't think Kyle did anything out of line like it's not like uh, this is a couple of years old but it's the best reference I can think of this isn't like Dave Festchuk of, uh, in Toronto going up to Phil Kessel and saying, D- Phil, do you think you're uh, uncoachable? Do you think you're tough to coach? Because do you think you got Randy Carlisle fired? Like, that's a that's a jerk move. Like, that's a douche thing to say. Yeah, but he did the, asking if you're going to do something dirty, I mean, I know it's Brad Marchand. That's, that's pretty much the equivalent, right? I disagree because it's like... He was saying, suggesting things that had absolutely no ground. Fast check was. Everybody saw what Marshawn did. There's no debate. Right. But the difference, but like Kess, for Kessel, he, like, you know, he had, at that point in time, like, he was, I mean, arguably, I mean, obviously, it was, it's, um, you know, Kessel is Kessel. Um, like, you know, obviously, he's coachable. Um, and wasn't the reason the Leafs were losing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but it was like, that is like a, like a question you can ask. For Marshawn, it's like, yeah, he, he's a, sure, he, he can be dirty at times, but like that, like, it's still like a rude question to ask if you, if you don't have a rapport with him beforehand. If it's like, it, it was in a joking matter then I'm fine with it. But that that didn't seem like it was a joking matter. It seemed like he was trying to get a dig in with Marshawn at the pregame well, ritual. The difference, I think, is that Festjack took a personal shot at Kessel, and Kessel responded by calling him an idiot. There was nothing personal about what, about what Kyle asked. I thought it... I well, thought yeah, it that, yeah, it was. He was questioning if he was going to do something dirty. That's pretty yeah, personal. He, like, he was referencing an instance where he clearly did something dirty. It's not like he said, are you going to fly your elbows out? If he said that, that would have been different. But did you get your skate sharpened? I don't think that says, are you going to do something again? It's like, did you fix your skate after what you did? Because you did it, and now I'm asking you about it. I guess it. it was more the tone when he asked it. It made it seem like he was like, are you, like, how, like, he was going to, it implied that he was dirty. I think it was dirty. Okay, well then, sick. so but then you're biased in that position. Reason, then. The other why that's why I don't think it was wrong of Kyle to do that is because it's not his job to have a rapport with uh, mm. Brad Marchand. He's not there to kiss the players' asses. He's there to ask the questions. 
if Brad Marchand doesn't want to be asked tough questions and answer for the crap he does on the ice, then don't talk to the media. A lot of people get really defensive and upset when players don't talk to the media, particularly in Canada. They're like, oh, you have to talk to the media or you're a bad leader and player. I don't think so. However, if you're going to talk to the media, don't be a jerk. You don't have to talk to the media. It does not say anywhere. I, I don't think it does. In any rules anywhere, you have to talk to the media 100% of the time. It doesn't. He could have said, nope, I don't want to do this pregame interview yeah. that's going to take like 30 seconds. He could have said no. Absolutely. I, I can agree but with if that. He's gonna, yeah. If he's going to do it, you got to be able, you got to not be a jerk. And especially, especially yeah. after game six where he had time to think about that. That, like, he it wasn't some heat of the moment, like emotional reaction. Like if when he asked the question, and he had like maybe he swears or something like that you can chalk that up to he got asked something he wasn't expecting he was a pissed off at the question and he had an emotional reaction he'd come out apologize for it that didn't happen this was a good what three four days after the initial question yeah. and no one was talking about it it wasn't like he assault like insulted him or his family he took a dig at something that happened on the ice you have to be able to answer for stuff like that. And it was the most lighthearted way I think it could have happened. There was it wasn't a Don Cherry rant. It wasn't like a Bruins like reporter writing crap about it or Blue Jackets reporter being like if it was a Columbus Blue Jackets reporter being like, How do you wanna did you pay for that stick afterwards or something like that? No, I don't I think did you get your skate sharpened is fine. And to do what he did, like several days after he knew exactly that he was going to do that and he m embarrassed kyle bacasas in front of the entire country plus whoever was watching that outside of canada and i just think that's ridiculous i think that's and embarrassing then, and then apparently he, he went on to embarrass the rest of the media because apparently his post-game presser was equally short yep. yeah which is ridiculous like you just want a playoff series congratulations if you don't want to talk to the media fine don't talk to the media but don't be a jerk, okay? Like, that's my point. No one's saying you have to talk to the media. But if you're going to say, yes, I will answer your questions, guys, have at her. Let's give you some analysis into this big win. We're going on to a big matchup with the Hurricanes. If you're just going to stand there and give one-word answers, screw you. What's your problem? Get over yourself. Yeah, and, and like, it, it's it's... Just I I know we're getting a bit off off script here, so and it's fine. other things to talk about. So I won't I won't I'll keep this short. Everyone looks at John Tortorella and all the sound bites that he has. If it's a good question, if it's a good question, he will actually go into detail. Like he is more than willing to answer questions from the media. If it is a bad question, you'll call them out, and he's just like, no 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 no. You, you, we, we all know the answer to that question. I'm not going to Well, answer. remember what Bryce Harper said to some reporter a couple years yeah, ago? That's some... question, yeah, yeah, that's a clown question, bro. Yeah, that's a clown question, bro. He should he could have said that. could have yeah. done literally anything and then moved on. No, he decided to drag it out like a petulant child. Yeah. And, and like, and like I, I don't like sometimes how blunt Torts is with the media, even though I, I do think it makes for good TV. But, but he always talks. Yeah, he, he talks. And if it's a good question, he will take the time to answer it 100%. 
Yeah. You don't have to talk, but if you're going to talk, talk. Don't be a jerk. And I thought yeah. Brad Marchand came off as a huge jerk. Yeah. That I can agree with. And now, and now he's facing a bunch of jerks. Yeah. Yeah, go jerks. Um, that I can agree with in terms of, you know, like Marshawn doesn't have to speak to the media. Um, and if he is going to speak to the media, he doesn't have to take it out on everyone else. Um, that was a bit much fine. If he has a problem with this one guy, but he doesn't have to speak to him if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Also, Uh, if you had a problem with that question, settle it like an adult and talk to like, I don't know, the appropriate channels, which I guess would have been PR. Talk to him after the game once the scrum's over. Be like, hey, yep. didn't like that question. But of course, no one does that. Everyone gets all that I can agree with you. Pissy about it, and they have to embarrass each other and yep. blast each other in public. No all one right. can handle things like adults. It seems we yeah, have to get going, but yeah, I thought the whole... too. So I, I don't think that's the way how Marshawn rolls. So. All right, we have to get going uh, to the next series. <laughs> Um, I assume we're all picking the Bruins. I have Bruins in six. Uh, Bruin, do you guys have a? Uh, yeah, I. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go Bruins in six. I'll go Bruins in six. I guess I'll go Bruins in six, but I, I I have a tough time thinking they'd win in Carolina, which is the only way it happens. But I. Yeah, I guess I'll go Bruins in six. Okay. Uh, all right, I guess we're all in agreement, reluctantly. Um, the Blues versus Sharks. Um, this The game one recap for this one wasn't as exciting as the, uh, the Bruins game, uh, mostly just because the Sharks kind of took over in the second period. Uh, Timo Meyer is incredible. Um, oh, he's so good. I know. No, that, that one play where he was like, uh, he disrupted the pass and then... Um, and then he uh, he was able to get by Bennington. Uh, that was phenomenal. Um, that's oh, going to be a nice highlight guy. that we're going to see for a long time now. Um, anyways, Logan Couture um, had a, started things off with a goal. Then Joel Edmondson scores. Then Joel Pavelski, who is apparently back, um, he scores. Uh, so it's two one after the first. Um, then in the second, Kevin LeBanc scores. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, then Timo Meyer, which was the goal we were just talking about. Um, and then Timo Meyer scores again. Um, and then in the third period, uh, so it's like 5-2 at this point, um, Tyler Bozak scores to make it 5-3, and then Logan Couture scores um, later on to make it 6-3. So it wasn't as exciting. Um, yeah, this was a game where the Sharks manhandled the Blues Um but at the same time, I like I feel like these are two very evenly matched teams. Um, I Steve knows I'm not a huge fan of Martin Jones, um, so I'm kind of reticent to though, for like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. For for, for I'm could reticent. Yeah, yeah. Could have been a Bruin. He could have been a Bruin. It's true. Um, he he. Um, so I'm reticent to say that I'm a shark. Like I'm a. I, I think the Sharks will win just because of Martin Jones. I know he's played well recently in these playoffs. So, like, if he can keep it up, then, yeah, the Sharks are going to be the team to beat um, in this series. But um, other than that, I feel like the, Blue, like the Blues have a good chance of winning this series, despite how poorly they played in Game 1. 
Yeah, uh, see, this is a Blues team that's coming off a tough seven-game series against Dallas, which went to two overtime periods. San Jose was a bit more rested, although not much. They, they got an extra day rest. Um, and their offense really got off to a stellar start in this series. I don't expect that to be the norm. Um, if, if you remember in game one of the Avalanche series, San Jose had to uh, had a lot of things going for them in game one. But for the most part, they had to grind their way through that series. They had five-plus goals in game one of, of their series with Colorado. But after that, it, once Colorado started to kind of get a feel for what their opponent was like, then, then we started to see a lot closer outcomes. Um, the Blues have Jordan Bennington in goal. They have a pretty good defensive core as well. Uh, and they've usually responded well after a loss. They're a really good team overall. I don't expect the Sharks to, pun intend, just swim away with this thing. They definitely have some skill. Uh, Martin Jones has gotten better in these playoffs, especially in round two. He made some big-time saves against the Avs at key times uh, during that series. Uh, their defense entering the playoffs. Forget about the teams left in the playoffs. Like, out of the field of 16, their defense is definitely um, amongst the crowd that stands out the most. Um, but at the same time, they're very beatable. And I think the Blues can find ways to exploit them defensively and as a team. I think by the time we get to Game 5, this series is going to be a best of three. And after that, it's a coin toss. And I definitely wouldn't be mad at St. Louis advance, but I'm obviously rooting for the Sharks because I want Carlson to win a cup. Um, me and Brett both want Jumbo Joe Thornton to finally win a cup. Uh, and Logan Couture is a former 67, so I obviously want him to win. Um, yep. So I'm going to stick with that, and I'm rooting for San Jose here. Oh, I'm, I'm big-time rooting for San Jose, big-time Carlson factor. I am going to disagree with you guys. I think I'm going to, like, I have San Jose as the heavy favorites because I think their skill is much more deep than the Blues are. Like, then they don't have the guys that are super big names yet, but they just have nice, nasty, nasty players all through their lineup. Guys that might not put up crazy points, but Goodrow, Don Scoy, Melker Carlson, Kevin LeBanc, what a great find he is. Timo yeah. Meyer, they got Gustav Nyquist, Thornton, Pavelski, Evander Kane, Burns, Carlson, Braun on the back end, Vlasic. Oh, my God, they're just stacked. I And, by the way, Carlson played, I don't remember which period it was in, played over 11 minutes in one of the periods last night. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's vintage Eric Carlson. Yeah. And if the Sharks, if Carlson turns into vintage Eric Carlson, particularly 2017 Carlson, the Blues are done. Because, oh, Brett, you know firsthand, and we we know all about it. Eric Carlson, when he is on, can take over a series and a game like very few other players in the league. And he looked very good last night. Even on one bum leg. Yeah. yeah, especially on one bum leg, in fact. I mean... I argue that he's better with one broken-to-hell cyborg foot. Like, oh, if, if they get him going at 100%, he's going to be lethal. Yeah, especially, I, I think it also... I, it, the one 
the one reason why St. Louis has a chance, you know, you can make the argument, oh, you know, St. Louis, you know, they've, they've had to, they've had to go through some grueling series. You know, they had to get through Winnipeg. They had to get through Dallas, double OT game seven, but the sharks are just as tired because they've gone through two game sevens. So, and, and one of them was against Vegas. So I, I, I definitely, I definitely think when it comes to like the fatigue factor, it's there for both teams. Like there's yeah. no advantage I, to any I definitely agree with that, but I also think that they have a group that's been there long enough that San Jose is never going to get an easier path to the cup than this. This is yeah, their they, year. They, no, they don't have to win. It. They have the talent to do it. And I think, I think you're right when it when it comes to um, the drive that this team has, because like what's feeding them is you know all the years of you know oh you didn't win a cup the year before that right. or the year before that or the year before that yada yada yada. They almost won a cup, but you got killed by the Penguins. You right. Almost yeah, did it. It, it, did. it reminds me of Washington last year. Like, is this the year they finally do it? Yep. Like, I mean, that's what I'm. And their window is closing like, too. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Their window is definitely closing. So, but yeah. Um, like they've got just so much power, and if you look in the eyes of Joe Thornton on the bench, that is the most focused human I think <laughs> I've ever seen. So you could just see, yeah, he's so close. He's got seven more wins, and then he can go and he can ride off into the sunset, Ray Bork style. So oh, it'd be so good. So well, first off, I want to say that if if the Bruins don't win the cup, I want the Sharks to win the cup. Uh, purely because of Joe Thornton, um, he was he was the reason why I even got into the Bruins in the first place. Um, it's still one of the worst trades. I know. Ever, yeah. Don't way. don't get me started on that. Now, here's the quick question. Totally off but, topic, but wait, can I? Oh, I, I just wanted to finish my point, but okay. 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 Um, but uh, the uh, yeah. So so if. So I'm I'm definitely rooting for the Sharks in this series, but um, I I just wanted to take in I, I feel like we should take some time to talk about the Blues, because uh, they're a pretty good team themselves. Like um, like they you know uh, Brian was just talking about the depth of the Sharks, um, and but like the Blues aren't that bad depth wise either. Um, yeah, they have Tarasenko and O'Reilly. Um, but like, they also have like Jaden Schwartz has had a phenomenal, uh, playoffs. Oh Braden Shen, um, is also very good. Uh, David Perron, Patrick Maroon had that OT goal. Robert Thomas is, uh, yeah. suddenly like a really good player now. Um, he's, you know, he's just a rookie. Um, Rob, Robbie Fabro has had his moments. Um, even like Oscar Sunquist and Ivan Barbashev. Yeah, they they both had their moments, even on like the fourth line and stuff. So like the like this isn't gonna be like a, uh, you know, the Sharks aren't gonna win in four. Uh, I'd be surprised if this is gonna be a shark sweep. I'd be stunned. Um, I'd be stunned if that happens. Yeah, yeah, and also not to mention, uh, like obviously it's not as good as Burns and Carlson, but Pedrangelo and Pareko are, um, you know, very good defensemen. Uh, two of the best like defensive duos in the league, um, but obviously not like Burns or Carlson. Um, and, J- and like the biggest factor here is Jordan Biddington. He's been phenomenal. 
um, this, these playoffs and in the regular season as well. So, like, uh, you know, that, that could be the X factor here. Is if Bennington's on his game um, and the Blues are on their game, I feel like, you know, the Blues could could beat the Sharks. Um, but it's going to be a long series either way. Bennington got killed last night. He had a 792. Yeah, yeah. He did, but I mean, I I don't I wouldn't be too worried about it until like if he gets killed again like in the next game, then um, then I would be worried about it. But um, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, yeah, you're I, definitely I think right. Sharks and six. six would be my prediction. Sharks and six. So yeah. I have Blues and seven. I'm gonna go Sharks and five. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, bit of a stretch, but okay. Um, I, just, I just like them. I just think that the guys like Pavelski are just, they're going to get so damn close, and they're going to do mm-hmm. it. I think this is the yeah. do the damn thing. Okay. The, the motivation factor is definitely going to we'll be see. there. Now, now, the question I wanted to ask Brett there. Sure. Let's say the Bruins and Sharks actually do meet in the playoffs. What do you think is going, is the most likely to make you cry? Your team loses to the Sharks, or Jumbo Joe doesn't win a cup because of your Bruins? Um, well, it's different because if, if it wasn't for 2011, I would say that like if the Sharks, like Jumbo Joe winning the cup before the Bruins did, I, I would be sad about that. But I think, um, you won it in Boston too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but since the Bruins had already won the cup since that trade, I'm not as like emotionally invested. So neither would actually make me cry. I'd be happy either way. Um, Honestly, which is a weird thing to say, I know, but um, I, I'd be pretty happy either way. Um, I would just love to see Eric get a cup. Yeah. That'd be so great. Um, I, I'm happy that I can finally root for Eric Carlson. Um, <laughs> I'm not killing the Bruins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh, let's do some moratoriums. Um, first, we're going to talk about the Cal- uh, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they kind of got screwed a little bit. Um, in their in the game seven against the Sharks, uh, where like there was a goal that happened um, that would have tied the game for the Avalanche, but um, it turned out that Landeskog was like about to go to the bench or was going to the bench, but he just so happened to be right by the blue line uh, when he was going to the bench um, instead uh, before the puck was even there and he didn't even realize it. So it's just like. Technically, it's the right rule, but it was just like the Avalanche got screwed there because of because of just some like weird thing that happened there. Um, but I figured that was worth it. But just in terms of the Colorado Avalanche, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, first off, they have their fourth overall pick, uh, which would have been the Sens. Oh, shut up! <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and. Uh, and then, uh, and then they also have a pretty young team. Like Nathan McKinnon's only twenty-three years old. Landeskog's twenty-six. Rantanen is twenty-two. Um, those are like their best players, and they're you know they're not even at their prime yet, which is scary when you really think about it. Um, and then um, Grubauer looked really good in the playoffs, um, and you know they have Kale McCarr in the system, who's um, who had a great playoffs too. 
Um, and Eric Johnson, Tyson Berry are also good players. And they don't really have too many UFAs this offseason to really re- worry about other than Semyon Var- Varlamov. But I, fe- I have a feeling they're just going to go with Grubauer yeah, anyways. Yeah. Um, 5.9 coming off the cap. Oh, and I guess I guess they do have to worry about Miko Rantanen because he's going to yeah, be an that's RFA. Exactly what I was going to say. But that's a big contract coming up. That's yeah, like we're talking ten plus for Miko Rantanen. Sure. Yeah, that's going to be huge money. They'll like they have about ten, almost eleven million bucks on the cap right now. Three million of Derek Broussard's coming off. Almost four mm. million of. Uh, of Colin Wilson's going to be coming off. Two and a yep. half of Patrick Nemeth's probably coming off. And 5.9 of Varlamov's going to be coming off. Plus another million bucks on the Brooks Orpic buyout is going to be shed because the buyout drops from 2.5 to 1.5. So they're going to have lots of money. Yep. They're going to have tons of money. They can add some guys on ELCs, pick up some guys for cheap. I think the Avalanche are going to be just fine. Yeah, I agree. Maybe they even bring Broussard back. I don't know. He didn't do much, but if I don't he, think they're going to bring him back. A guy like Carl Soderberg, who's making a ton of money too, and not so great. But yep. like they're going to be fine. They got to get Rantanen done. If you can get him done for less than ten, I think it's a huge win. And try and shore up your defense a little bit because Eric Johnson's getting up there, and uh, Tyson Berry's going to be a free agent the year they're after next season. And I just don't know. Holy crap! Ian Cole's making four point two five million dollars. Yeah, that's insanity. They also got to assign Nikita Zadorov and figure out what's going on with him. But yeah, Kale McCarr is going to be in this on this team next year. I expect we'll see more minutes out of Sam Girard, who has been yeah. probably their best pickup from the Duchesne trade. He has been fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, I think the Abs are going to be just fine. Yeah, their their window is is far from closing or over. Oh, not even close. Yeah, wide open. It's just starting. Um, Steve, do you have any other takes on the Avalanche? Well, again, uh, regarding Miko Rantanen, it's not whether or not he's going to get paid; it's how much. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's going to be a be big a contract. Yeah, uh, I doubt they bring back Broussard unless it's for an insanely cheap price. Um, yeah, he's going to get at least slashed like three mil, which. If he's putting up, like, we know Derek Broussard can produce, but he has been terrible since he left Ottawa. If, if, it's, if Honestly, if it's at the right price, I can see Colin Wilson coming back. Oh, he had five playoff goals. Yeah, like, I can see them wanting that, but I don't know if they want him for a, a yeah, raise. For, for the price oh, that he was getting, no, absolutely not. Like, he was nearing 3.9375, 3. I probably do again. Anything over, like... 4.25 nah I'll find something else please yeah I, you can I don't get even, secondary I don't, scoring elsewhere I think like even like on the verge of 3 million like like I, I think it's it's a little steep right now um yeah, Matt regarding... Rado, you're playing up higher you can score some goals yeah true yeah and he and he, and he did get some opportunities there yeah. um like you said Zadorov's gonna be uh, key to resign there's also Alex Kerfoot, who is an RFA, JT Comper, RFA, Sven Andrigetto, RFA, um, Yost and Gerard are RFAs after next year, Makar in two years, uh, Brian mentioned Tyson Berry, UFA after next year, uh, Grubauer and Landis Cog are both UFAs in 26 months, so 
the reason I bring up those names is they're gonna have to be careful as to how they dish out the money this offseason so it doesn't hurt oh, them yeah. in the long run. They can't just start throwing cash around like crazy, like but they gotta also hope that a guy like Tyson Jost figures it out because that was a really high pick they use on him and he has not really lived up to no yeah and, and develop, developing uh, their prospects is, is also going to be crucial uh the top four pick that they get it, i think they're gonna pull up here dorian and quote unquote pick the best player available because they have a lot of options like yeah. if if uh Boehm byron is on the board uh the defenseman with the vancouver giants he's had a monster season um you know defense at one point was considered a bit of a weakness for Colorado and they have all these young defensemen now uh they could go with Kirby Doc uh Craig Button's mock draft has him going fourth overall he's a right winger center so that would be a very sweet pickup for their offensive depth like if they don't pick up for Sarge uh Kirby Doc could fill those shoes they could also go after Cole Cowfield um that's the guy that's the guy I think they got would be a lot of scoring potential there so they, they definitely have a lot of options with that top four pick and here's the kicker they still have their original first so that was what they, I was gonna they say could get they, another middle they yeah, could they get do. another middle player that's um that could turn out to be something what the avalanche might it might be in their best interest to do and god this would just be a nightmare if i'm but like as a sense fan they might just trade that pick trade it to the highest bidder start a bidding war get whatever you can Ooh, that's a trade good down, idea like trade down like six spots like hey hey uh i don't know name a team who's just outside the top five like uh, i don't know the Edmonton picking this year <laughs> Well, they just name a team, name any team, like Los Angeles. Hey, you want to get into the top four? Uh, let's uh, see what you got there. Maybe Maybe see if the Senators want the pick. (laughs) No, no, that's a terrible idea. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You don't want your favorite team doing this? No, absolutely. You you just suggested this. Pierre Dorian exclusively loses trades. I don't want any of that. All right. I I, I don't want Joe Sackick to to bully Pierre Dorian any more than he already has. Just, uh, but it would be smart of him. Everything falls into place, and we get Alexis Lafreniere next year. Oh, Alexis Lafreniere is gonna be a, gonna look great in uh, Sen's jersey. Yeah. Cannot wait. All right, we're going. We're getting off track here. Yeah, they, they, they have, yeah. needless to the say, the answer fine. fine. The stars um, are the, our next fine. team. Uh, they lost in double OT. Bishop had a phenomenal uh, game. He had 52 saves. I think he's like the second goalie ever to have like more than 50 saves in a playoff game or something like that. Which yeah, is very few great. goalies have done it, yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, we'd be remiss. I, ca- I just can't imagine what it would be like to be Jamie Benn right now. Like, he almost scored that game-winning goal. It just hit, it almost went in, um, but it went into the crease, uh, or, like, it hit the post, and then, um, like, it was a wraparound. Um, he almost had it, and then, like, a couple minutes later, it goes, Patrick Maroon scores, and the Blues are into the next round. Like, it, if it was just, like, just one, like, thing that changed the course of history it would have been that so i I can't imagine that going on what's going on with jamie ben there um but like 
but that that game was like pretty much Bishop versus the Blues because like Bishop was phenomenal. Oh my god! And the, the Stars showed up. Yeah, and the Stars did nothing other than Jamie Ben almost winning them, uh, winning them the game. So, um, but anyways, uh, just in terms of the future stuff, uh, the Stars aren't looking too bad. Um, again, They're not nearly as fine as the, uh, the, the avalanche, the avalanche. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But, you um, realize they've traded so many draft picks. Yeah. Like looking, they have their first this year. Don't have their second. Don't have their third. Don't have their seventh. They might lose their first next year, which I don't know what the condition is on that. I don't think it's second. if Zuccarello signs with, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Thank you. Don't have first or second or thirds each to the next two drafts or sevens. Yep. Um, Spets is going to be gone. Seven and a half. That's a lot coming off the cap. Well, I, I, I was just, I was going to get to that. Uh, Zuccarello. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Zuc- Spez, it's fine. Uh, Spezza is going to be a UFA. So they have money off that way. Uh, Zuccarello was pretty, actually really good. He was like, he's probably like their third best forward, maybe second best forward, um, or their best forward, uh, when he was, when he was playing. Um, so I, I could see them signing Zuccarello up, um, there. Um, yeah. So you mentioned Jason Spezza. He's going to be UFA. Ben Lovejoy, um, Roman Polak and Tyler, Taylor F- Fadun are also UFAs. Um, and then in terms of RFAs, it's not too bad either. I guess the only notable one is uh, Matthias Yanmark. Um, but uh, other than that, Brett Ritchie, are you going to be Brett Ritchie, Jason Dickinson, Esselinda? Oh, yes, Esselindel is going to be an RFA. So that's a big yeah, name that's too. A big one. Um, and uh, Julius Yanka. Um, who hasn't lived up to the hype that he had, um, but he's going to be an RFA as well. So, um, yeah, it's not too bad in terms of, like, there's no, like, key players that's going to be gone. Not, like, the next team that we're going to be talking about in the Blue Jackets. Um, I just think they have a lot of money tied up yeah. in not that great of players. And right. they have a lot but, of uncertainty. Mark thoughts coming off the books this true. year at 4.9. And also, I mean, like, like Jason Spezza was paid way too much. Um, maybe so he comes back. Much money. He's scored yeah. 16 goals over the past two years. So maybe, maybe he comes back, but, uh, I would imagine it would be less than 7.5 million. Um, price yeah, for sure. But other than that, I like Radulov is being paid 6 million. Jimmy Ben's being paid 9 million and Tyler Sagan is being paid 9 million next year. So, um, those all seem to be fair assessment, but other than that, it seems like they're all, um, they're all fairly paid about what they should be. John Klingberg's being underpaid, uh, with 4 million. Severely yeah. underpaid. So, um, you know, eventually Miro Heiskanen's going to be, um, his contract, his RFA status is going to be up, but, um, but that's not until uh, like three years from now. Um, so yeah, they're, they're not in bad shape cap wise, um, so to speak, but I still, you know, I still feel like they need to add maybe a couple more depth guys. We'll see, um, there, uh, what, what is your spin on this, Steve? Uh, 
if it's not for Ben Bishop, they don't make it this far. Yep. Their goaltending was arguably their biggest asset, regular season playoffs, bar none. Like the Sharks, or not the Sharks, the Stars were outshot 18 to 1 in the second period alone, 31 to 4 from the end of the first to the start of OT in game seven. Um, and Ben Bishop gave them a chance. They, they, he gave the team a chance to find their legs, find their offense, and it just didn't happen. And I'm sure a lot of big wigs in the Lone Star State are sick and tired of Jamie Ben not delivering when it matters. And Tyler Sagan, maybe to an extent, too. Listen, star players are going to miss shots. And that was a tough time for Jamie Ben to miss a shot. And in, in hindsight, you can say if he only had just tucked the puck into the post instead of just swinging it wide, you know, maybe it'd be a different story. And it's a bang-bang play in real time. You don't have that luxury of hindsight. So, like, I, I, I think that there's definitely more pressure than ever on Ben and Sagan to deliver next year. But there's got to be more pressure on the entire team to deliver. It's... It's not just the top line that needs to get better. Everyone needs to get better. The depth needs to be there. It wasn't. You have to manufacture offense on all fronts to succeed in this league. And there wasn't enough of that as far as I'm concerned um, in order for them to get to that next step. And this is going to be another learning process. Letting Jason Spezza walk is the easiest, most beneficial thing they could do as much as I like Jason Spezza. He's not the player he once was. And I don't think we're ever going to see that version of him ever again. Uh, Mark Bacot is banged up. I think letting him walk is also beneficial as much as I like him. Um, so they're probably going to spend a good chunk of their money on their RFAs, Jan Mark Dickinson, Brett Ritchie. What's really interesting is their farm system because they have Ty Della Andrea, Jason Robertson, who is a goal-scoring machine in the OHL this year. He was absolutely unreal for the Ice Dogs. And some guy who plays in the 67s named Ty Felber, who is also killing it. So all those OHL veterans at some point down the road are going to have a big impact on this team moving forward. Uh, Defense is going to need a bit of work. They have Lovejoy, Polak, Fidon, as Brett mentioned, they're all UFAs. Um, I think they'd be wise to bring in somebody to add to their current shutdown group or at least find someone to replace one of the guys I just mentioned. Uh, Lindell is, I think, worth keeping around. Zuccarello, absolutely worth keeping around. Um, What's also key to note is that after next year, Rupe Hintz, who uh, made a lot of strides this year, is going to be an RFA. Uh, So will Heiskanen uh, uh, 12 months after him. So um, I, I, I definitely think that the future is bright in Dallas. But if they stand pat and don't improve their team beyond re-signing Zuccarello, beyond re-signing Essa Lindell, I think they're going to be a lot like the 2017-18 Senators in the sense that they stood pat in the offseason, relying that the same group was going to get it done. And they're going to be sorely disappointed when they realize, yeah, we needed to add a bit more. And if that is the route that they end up going down and they decide to blow it up, they're going to have a much harder time trading Ben and Sagan than the uh, the Sens did trading everybody because no expiring contracts there. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Especially when you consider they just re-signed Sagan. Yeah. I want to say, going back to Zuccarello, I want to know, I don't know what the rule is, but I wonder if they let him hit 
unrestricted free agency, if he signs back with them, if it counts towards oh. them losing their draft pick. I kind of, I don't know. It's oh, you mean like they wait till July, after July 1st to sign exactly. him? Exactly. You have like a verbal agreement, but you don't make anything official until July 1st because if, like, sorry, right now, Matt Zuccarello, good player. He's not worth another first-round pick. Their prospect pool, outside of the guys that Elsie mentioned, it's yeah. really not that deep. They got Jake Ottinger coming down uh, in between yeah, the pipe. Name, yeah. But, sorry, they need to restock the cupboards. Yeah. really not looking that deep. So they need they need to kind of be an in-between uh, year of, like, contending with the guys they have, but also stockpiling. And you can't be giving up firsts for Matt Zuccarello. You just can't be doing that. Multiple firsts for Matt Zuccarello. It just can't happen. No, it's only one first. Allowed. It's only it's. I think yeah. it's only one first. Oh, it's only one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if that's allowed. That feels like it's probably not allowed on account of if I can think of it. There's a good chance the GMs thought of it. Oh yeah. yeah. So I don't know what they are. I think they just gotta hitch themselves to the the contracts that they have with Ben Sagan and Radulov and just say we are contenders. Let us contend. And I mean, roll into battle, head down. That's kind the of thing, what they have to do. Yeah, the thing with the Stars, though, is is like they have the defense in Heiskanen and Klingberg, um, and then they have the forwards in Radulov, Sagan, and, and Ben, um, although Ben is kind of regressing now. Um, but, like, you know, they don't and – they, and they have a good goalie now with Bishop – but they don't really have a ton of depth guys. So that's going to be the thing that they're going to have to address. And Zuccarello is an important part. Um, he was like really good for them. Um, so I feel like that in, in my mind, that's why I feel like they should resign him. But you also bring up the good point, Brian, about like, uh, like they can't really afford to give up first round picks. Um, yeah, it's like uh, it's it's yeah. one of those things where they can't afford to re-sign them, but they can't afford not to re-sign. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like no disrespect to this player, but Blake Como, that's the guy. That's the guy you're gonna pay almost almost two and a half million bucks for. That's your mm-hmm. secondary scoring. Oh, don't okay. forget, don't, don't forget about Martin Hansel. He he's another guy. Yeah, that's yeah, another one. Who may never play again. Yeah, he's right. also hurt. He can't help you. Um, and he's making four seven five for the next two years. We have to year. we have to get going here. The blue <laughs> the blue jackets. Um, oh dear. They um, yeah. So of the three teams we talked about, this is the team that's not in great shape. Uh, first off, Bobrovsky already. I don't know if he's officially sold it, but he put his house on the market uh, in Columbus, which signifies that he's not going to be in Columbus next year. That was kind of to be expected and all that stuff. Um, other UFAs uh, the, the Blue Jackets have uh, Artemi Panarin, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, um, Adam McQuaid, um, and Keith Kincaid, um, and, and Bobrovsky, like I just mentioned. Um, in terms of RFAs, Zach Wierenski um, is an RFA. Um... And that's about it in terms of our base. Um, yeah. Oh, they are so screwed. Um, but, like, the thing is, is, like, I actually think they're as screwed as people are making it out to be. Like, yeah, P- Panarin and Bobrovsky uh, not being there are going to be, you know, it's going to be terrible uh, for them, for sure. Um, but 
Corpusalo wasn't terrible um, when he was playing this year as the backup to Bobrovsky. Um, in fact, he, he even played better than Bobrovsky in some points um, last year. Um, but, a contract. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like he, you know, he's a young guy. He could be something. You never know with goalies as well. Um, no, spe- goalies are voodoo. Yeah. So you never know. You know, Corpusello could be a a decent goalie for them. Maybe they go out and get Robin Leonard or something, but they'll have a, enough cap space to worry about that. Um, Artemi Panarin's going to hurt them too, for sure, because he's like an elite winger for them. But, uh, you know, I I suspect Matt Duchesne will re-sign with Columbus. Um, and even if they don't, you have Cam Atkinson, you have uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, not to mention Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, who are like two of the best defensemen um, in the league, not just like in terms of a duo, but like in the league, they're both like top 15 at least. Um, so, uh, so you have those guys to build and Cam Atkinson, as I mentioned, um, you know, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. So like you have a good young core to build around. Um, sure, Panarin and Bobrovsky leaving are going to hurt. Um, but, like, if you can sign Matthew Shane and you get maybe another piece, um, I think I think the Blue Jackets may not be in bad shape if, if that happens. Um, but, you know, that's a big if, I guess. Um, yeah, either one of you want to talk about this here. Honestly... Uh, thanks for the first round pick, Columbus. Uh, appreciate it. You, you allowed Ottawa to at least draft some. And, and I should year. mention that if if Duchesne resigns with Columbus, the Sens get uh, the 2020 first round pick next year. Maddie uh, D. So yeah. yeah, exactly. Please do it. We deserve it so bad. Yeah, yeah. I want that pick. I just wanted to mention that. So, yeah. so just so, just so you guys are aware, it's it's good news if Matt Duchesne resigns. Now it's the best news. Yeah. Getting to getting to Bobrovsky for a quick sec. He said during his exit meeting, he still had a lot to think about, and maybe it's about where he plans to play outside of Columbus, or maybe this. The optimistic side of me talking. Maybe he's just being proactive and deciding to put his condo for sale if he ends up leaving Ohio. You know, who's to say? You know, I, you know what? I, I I decide I'll stay in Columbus. I'm just gonna pull my condo off the market, keep it on July 1st with the new deal in my pocket. Realistically, yeah, I, I don't think that. that's gonna happen. Yeah, and that's is a wise man to look elsewhere. Um, in any event, I think for Panarin, he's probably gone. Uh. I don't think the Zingles coming back unless it's for the right price. He wasn't the depth piece they wanted to see come playoff time. In fact, he was a healthy scratch at one point in the Boston series. Um, in goal, you have Jonas Corpusalo, Keith Kincaid needing new deals. Also, that kid named Elvis that uh, they signed uh, towards the later stage of the regular season. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me if they go for a shorter term solution in goal, like maybe Barlamov or hey Mike Smith. You know, he had a pretty good playoffs. He could be worth taking a chance on. And if they think he's worth the pay raise, maybe Robin Leonard's worth gambling on too. Um, Zach Wierenski mentioned definitely going to get paid. Uh, Clendenning and Harrington probably going to be cheaper ads if they decide to keep them. 
Adam McQuaid is also a UFA. Maybe they bring him back. Uh, I definitely can see Duchesne in it for the long haul if there are no better options on the open market. I definitely think it's possible. I'm not going to say it's a slip dunk at this point. Uh, they do have to be weary of the money because Pierre-Luc Dubois and Josh Anderson are both RFAs in July of 2020. Um, so if if you're going to break the bank for Duchesne, be careful how much you're giving him. That's, that's all I'm going to say. And prospect-wise, they're screwed because they only have a third oh, of this year, year, possibly missing a pick in rounds one, two, and three next year. I'm definitely worried about the future of this game. That's what I was going to say. Going back to the Zuccarello point, I want them to re-sign Matt Duchesne so bad, but I don't know how they possibly can because they would be so screwed. Yeah, right. They have two picks in this draft, and only one of them is theirs. Like, oh, my God. They're so screwed up front, like uh, down the line. They don't have and oh my gosh, you can't be making three picks in like the first all of this draft, two picks maybe, in all of this draft in the first three rounds of the next draft. That yeah. just can't happen. See, uh, the the thing with Columbus That might be a little bit too much, yeah. The, the, here's the thing with Columbus though. I'm kind of happier to be a Sens fan of this situation as opposed to a Blue Jackets fan, because even though, yeah, you swept the Tampa Bay Lightning and won a playoff series, congratulations. Franchise first. You deserve to be happy. You almost made it to the conference finals. You were two wins away. Yep. At the same time, though, the Sens are rebuilding. They have a pretty good prospect pool. In a couple of years, hopefully, they develop those pieces and they start to get better. I know what the sends are. I know what to expect. Garbage. I don't even know who Columbus is going to be. They are in for some See, unbelievable pain in Columbus, yeah. I think. That's, that's why I disagree. Um, as I mentioned before, like Panarin and Bobrovsky, yeah, that's going to hurt. Those guys are for sure gone. I guess you you guys do bring up a good point that they can't really afford to re-sign Duchesne because of this conditional first-round no, pick. You'd but, essentially be sitting out an entire draft, and you just can't do that. Yeah, but... That would assassinate your franchise. For sure. But at the same time, like, I mean, I well, first off, I do respect... Um, oh, damn, what, I'm blanking on the GM's name. Oh, Kekalainen's... Um, Kekalainen's like spirit or, or like strategy this year during the trade deadline. Oh, yeah. is, it, it, it you know, like obviously, board. like you know, him, yeah. I I'm totally on board with that. Like you know, you have to show your fan base that you actually care. And if you if you're going to like you know like you know Panarin and Bobrovsky aren't going to sign, so that that's your last shot to do it with them. And if you're going to do it, get all the rentals you can and try to make a go at it um you know like who cares like and and just the fact that they swept the lightning makes this season already a success um sure they didn't go further than that but um at they least the they lightning. did that but on the other hand you have like you know cam atkinson um is a very good player um i i just mentioned seth jones zach warinski uh pierre luke dubois 
those are players that you can all like build your team around. Um, and like, sure, your prospect pool is a little bit lacking just because of all these trades you made. Um, and, and you don't have a ton of draft picks, but you're still like, I, I still feel like they're going to be okay. I, like I wouldn't, I would be surprised if they, um, are like one of the worst teams in the league, uh, next year. Um, but oh, you may like, even like, they're not going to be a playoff team, but I could see them being like, a like, a a bubble team, um, next year. You don't um, think they're going to be Ottawa Senators level of second? No, I don't. Yeah, they're screwed because if they, if they are, they're screwed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I don't I I honestly don't. And, um, and you know what? That's so. even better for Ottawa because it, if imagine if Columbus actually does that bad, Ottawa could have two top ten picks. Yep. It'd be amazing. Oh my god, it would be fantastic. Right. Okay. Now I'm now I'm giving you guys too much hope. <laughs> I know. Well, we deserve it. Okay. We've had a lot of crap. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. I guess that's fair. Um. I I don't know, man. They are just. They, what they should be doing is, I know you don't usually get much if anything, mm-hmm. but they need to just start trading guys at the draft. It's like get whatever you can. Like I don't care if it's like a fifth. For the rights to negotiate with Artemi Panarin, yeah, yeah, well, get, uh, the right um, get a third the for the rights. Exactly, get a third for the rights to negotiate with Bobrovsky. Get like a, a, a hopefully you resign him. Get, but get like, what teams for the rights to negotiate with Duchesne? What what teams get, actually do that though? Like, I, I don't know if like, high, but yeah, like, but like I don't know if like like if like let because. Uh, I'm I'm a Bruins fan, obviously. Like I don't know if I would like trade a third just for the rights to get Panarin before anyone else could. I would just I would be like, all right, I'll take my shot without uh, doing that. Um, I would definitely make an attempt if I'm Columbus. I definitely make an attempt, but I can see why a lot of GMs would be just like, yeah, we'll wait till July first. Yeah, I think I think a lot of teams would just wait till July first to to negotiate. Um, if you're that. a GM like Dale Talon, let's say in Florida, and you've already been linked to these guys, yeah, then really maybe I would do it. Steal the deal? You want to seal the deal? Sure, give up a pick. Who cares? They got a good young team. And if you're gonna add Bobrovsky and Panarin, and you can get them and negotiate, and they can talk to only you for like yeah. five days. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing too. It's it. only it would only yeah. be for five I days. I think the only way it happens is if both Bobrovsky and Panarin are linked to the same team. And yeah. Right yeah, I, I, I could see that happening. It's an interesting thing to think about for sure. Oh, they'll yeah. be the... They'll, they have the, to at least try because they yeah. have no picks. They have True. absolutely none. They have one third and, a, and Calgary's seventh. They don't even have their own seventh. Yeah. yeah. They traded every pick except their third rounder. They I'm have just, to do something to get picks. I'm just... I'm just saying, like, we look at, like, last year, we didn't think the Islanders were going to be, like, make the playoffs. Let, like, we thought they were going to be a top, a bottom 10 team. They, you know, they made the playoffs this year. Uh, same with last year when the Avalanche had, like, the worst record of all time um, three seasons ago. And then they made the playoffs. The Golden Knights. I mean, like, it, it's definitely... They're they're definitely like in this league. I found that like teams are 
Like, even though it seems like they're going to be bad, um, they're not going to be that bad. And I feel like the Blue Jackets are on a better pace than than those other teams I just mentioned. Um, they might perform well on the ice, yeah. but in terms of just their overall franchise, they are set up to be so screwed for a very long time. Yeah, the sense, I guess. They, they might have performed badly on the ice, but off the ice, like how they played on the ice really didn't matter because they have no plan off the ice. Yeah, they I guess. Really I, I just don't know. Bad. I just don't know if they're like as screwed as we're all making it out to be is, is my point. But we'll see. It's one of those things that we could, we could argue about this all day. There's a way um, out of the darkness. Yeah, we just, just gotta find it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If they sign Matthew Shane, it's over. Yep. Um, the rapid fire. Uh, we're we're at a, an hour thirty here, so we're gonna try to make this all very very quick here. Um, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, so the the award nominations have happened a while, like a while back, but we've never actually discussed them because we knew it would take a long time. Um, and uh, now is the perfect time to do it because there aren't a ton of other hockey stories going on. We'll go over the big awards. I don't know if we'll go over all the minor ones, but we'll we'll discuss them when it happens during the awards show for sure. Um, first off, we have the Hart Trophy. Um, this one is. Nikita Kucherov, Sidney Crosby, and Connor McDavid. Um, I was a little bit surprised that uh, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby were nominated, but this is definitely Nikita Kucherov's award running away. He was like by far the best player. 130 points um, in 82 games. That's absurd. Um, you know, it's funny too, like last year we thought like, oh, like we were wondering what McDavid's point total was going to be. A couple were even saying that he may have 130, but it turns out Kucherov was the guy who did that instead of McDavid. Um, Crosby and McDavid were just the names yeah, because they had exactly. to two other Because they're like, oh yeah, these are like the, the other like generational talents type of things. But yeah, Kucherov's going to win that running away. I don't know if you have Jimmy if you guys have any other things you want to say about that, but um, no, Kucherov, good player. Yeah, good, good player. player. Understatement. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I like you look at you look at Kucherov's stats. Um, out of out of the group, he he also had the lowest average time on ice per game, uh, two seconds under twenty minutes per game, uh, one hundred and twenty eight points, the highest. Uh, score in a season in Russian hockey history as an NHLer. So many reasons that Nikita Kucherov is going to win this award because of how offensively dominant he was in a season that saw quite the offensive resurgence. But yep. at the same time, I can see why McDavid could win this because out of this group, he is a top time on ice per game leader among sports, averaging 22 minutes, 50 seconds. Um, it's 78 games, 41 goals, and 116 points is very good when you consider that he was on an Oilers team that had zero chance in hell of making the postseason. They had a chance to qualify at the start of March, maybe to the midpoint of March. About that point, they should have been long dead yep. with the roster they were icing. It's no secret how much he means to that organization. It showed in his dominant play and the team's pathetic play around him, but... 
this has got to be Kucherov's year. Like, what else can he do? Like, cartwheels backwards yeah. to win By the way, trophy? Kucherov was a beast this year. He should win. And he made under $5 million. Yeah, yeah, true. He's, what an insane contract. He's he the most underpaid player in the league. For sure. Steve Eiserman yeah. is an absolute wizard. He goes up yep. to nine and a half after this year, but four point seven for one hundred and thirty points. And he was like, he was like a sixth round pick or something like that. I don't, yeah, yeah. So, unbelievable. Um, but um, the only thing I will say is that I felt like Patrick Kane does deserve some recognition. Um, yeah. I'm not sure who you uh take off uh, either McDavid or Crosby, but. Um, I felt like Patrick Kane deserves some credit for what he did. He was on a bad Chicago Blackhawks team, but he managed to have 110 points in 81 games. I felt like he should have at least been nominated. I know Kucherov had this run, like wire to wire, but um, I felt like he should have uh, he should have be at least recognized for um, his season. Um, but whatever. I think. Uh... I would include Nathan McKinnon as honorable mention as well, because yep. if you look at um, the depth issues that Colorado had outside of their top line, mm-hmm. like they needed every single ounce of offense that McKinnon and Rantanen were providing. So I, I would almost be inclined to take off Crosby and put Nathan McKinnon on there. But yeah, um, you're, you're, you're right. And if you look at the Ted Lindsay award nominations, yep, it's basically Kucherov, McDavid and Kane. Yeah, that's true, too. And that's player's choice for MVP. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the the knock on Patty, Patrick Kane is the fact that Alex DeBrincat was also, like, had a career year this year. Um, so um, maybe, like, you couldn't, like, justify that, like, the Blackhawks only had one good player in, in Patrick Kane. Um, but uh, I thought that he should have at least been recognized uh, for his efforts. Uh, the Norris Trophy, which is a little bit, it's going to be a little bit more contested. Uh, Brent Burns, um, Mark Giordano, and Victor Hedman. Um, I think just from my sense of you guys, um, you guys I think are going to go with Giordano because it seems to be the, this is his year. But I'd actually yeah, go with year. Brent Burns uh, this year. Um, he was phenomenal. He had he had a point per game as a defenseman. Um, that's phenomenal. I mean, sure, he's not really like great defensively speaking, but um, Archie Giordano is better defensively speaking than Brent Burns is. But uh, like Brent Burns, like just the factor that he can be a point per game player as a defenseman, that like. That makes you already like the most valuable player, just considering other defensemen who don't usually score that much. Um, so I feel yeah. like just from that that factor, Brent Burns um, has my vote. Based on what I know, Brent Burns scoring a point a game, he is guaranteed to absolutely not win because the the Pro Hockey Writers Association doesn't really care about that. The vote was probably decided months ago. True. I'm st- I'm still bitter about the fact that Carlson scored a point per game and I can tell freaking Dowdy got it. It was absolutely ridiculous. I can tell. So I think Giordano's gonna go, gonna get it. Good for him. Great defenseman. Great story. Left the NHL for the KHL a while back, and he's turned it into an, a remarkable career. Okay. 
the Norris Trophy's a joke. It's just a lifetime achievement award for the people who haven't won it now. It doesn't oh, yeah. go to the best defense. Well, like, it's so inconsistent because if, if you look at the other year, Carlson was snubbed by Brent Burns. Brent Burns had the better offensive stats. Carlson was like second in block shots, and he still lost. Yeah, it's mm. a bunch of crap. Carlson should have four. That's whatever. Right. Anyway, the uh, Norris no true, bias, but... not bias at all, right? Yeah. No. I, I think Giordano is going to win. This is arguably the best season of his career. Ultimately, it could be his last shot to win this prestigious honor. But because of all-star stats, they might go with Burns or Hedman. Anyway, I hope they don't. I hope they go with Giordano. I will give some honorable mentions to Morgan Riley of the Leafs. Uh, yeah, I know. Steve? consideration more so carlson because he was also top 10 in block shots like if you can put oh. up 70 plus points and be a top 10 getter in block shots i think you deserve a bit more respect uh the other guy i want to shout out is eric gustafson chicago blackhawks yeah he was good any of you guys realize he got 60 points yeah i didn't realize that wow yeah some guy named duncan keith didn't have a 60 point season it's incredible yep. Yeah, he's kind of taking over Duncan Keith's role. I I didn't realize that either. Maybe that's another reason why Patrick Kane didn't get nominated. I knew Logan was was starting to pick it up, but I didn't realize at the end of the season he had six points. Same here. I knew he I knew he had like had a lot of power play time, but um, but yeah, I didn't realize he was that good. Um, I I do want to shout out. I I mean I know why he wasn't nominated, but I do want to shout out Thomas Shabbat. Um. Sam Bacho, love it. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he was injured for a time, but he was like the best player on the Senators for a while. I know why he wasn't nominated, but that's a that's the other honorable mentions as well. Oh, and also Keith Yandel as well. He's he's been one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. Um, he's yeah, yeah. He's so for a while, yeah. he he's uh, he's great there. Um, all right, let's go to the Vezina uh, here. Uh, Robin Leonard, Andre Vasilevsky, and Ben Bishop. Um, I think this goes to Andre Vasilevsky, um, mostly just because he had incredible stats. Um, but like, I, I would love it if Robin Leonard won this, uh, just for the story. Um, he probably should. But I have a feeling he's he's probably going to get the Masterton. And I think what hurts... Leonard the most is the fact that Thomas Grice also had a pretty good year too um, because they kind of like split roles this year Um, so I I feel like it's going to go to Vasilevsky or Bishop Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Bishop either I guess Bishop had better stats wise but um, like uh, Bishop had a 934 save percentage and a GA just under 2 um, whereas, uh, uh, Vasilevsky had a 9.25 and a 2.4, but, um, I just feel like Vasilevsky was, was voted on more just because of how historic the Tampa Bay regular season was. Yeah, I think it'll probably be Vasilevsky, even though it probably should be, uh, Robin Leonard. Just okay. the... Yeah, I... I, I think Bishop actually has a decent shot at this. Like, down the stretch, he was yep. lights out good for Dallas. Um, I, I I would definitely be happy if a former sense goalie, which Bishop and Leonard both are, 
won this award. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't um, realize that. <laughs> but I think Vasilevsky might win it just because he got 39 wins while playing just 53 games. And I couldn't double-check this on the NHL's website because for whatever reason they decided, ah, regular season goaltending stats are meaningless. We're not putting them up there. Oh, the um, NHL website so is so bad. I, I couldn't check it on the NHL website. I usually can, but I couldn't today. But I believe the last time I checked, Vasilevsky was still one of the leaders in shots faced. And for a guy who played in 53 games, that I'm pretty sure is not even tops on that list, it's still pretty impressive to put up those kind of stats and still uh, face that kind of rubber, even on a team as good as Tampa Bay. He and was... Uh... Largely because of how successful Tampa Bay was this regular season, Vasilevsky is going to get more because he was on the better team. But I think... I, I hope Bishop, either Bishop or Leonard, I'd be happy with um, winning that award. So that's what my to answer to, to answer your question, Vasilevsky was tenth in shots faced. Tenth in shots faced, so it's still in the top ten. For yeah, a guy with 50, still pretty good. Yeah, pretty for good. sure, for sure. Yeah. Not bad, not bad. Um, let's go here, Calder. This is an interesting one because I have a feeling that uh. Elias Pedersen, well, look, first off, it's Elias Pedersen, um, uh, Jordan Bennington, and Carter Hart. Um, all very impressive players. They're all going to be very good um, in the coming years. Um, Elias Pedersen had 66 points in 71 games. Um, Jordan Bennington, like, pretty much single-handedly got the Blues back on track. Um, and then Carter Hart was also impressive, too, or he had his moments... I don't have his stats up currently here. Um, well, uh, Carter Hart wasn't nominated. Was it not Carter Hart? Who? Hey, who was no, it? No, it was, it was Bennington, Peterson, and Rasmus Dallin. Oh, was it Dallin? What? Yeah, Dallin got in. Okay. Carter, Carter Hart wasn't even nominated along with Iceken, and he wasn't what nominated. What a joke. Jeez, I thought it was Carter Hart. Okay. Nope. Uh, nope. All right. Anyways, I, I was going to say that it's 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 I would give this to Jordan Bennington. But I have a feeling it's going to go to Elias Pedersen. Um, I feel like because, just purely because I feel like the big difference in the Blues season was that they um, was the, the was the turn from Jake Allen as the starter to Jordan Bennington as the starter. And once Jordan Bennington got going, the Blues were uh, not to be messed with. Um, you know, like we've been saying that all year was like, you know, or like you, I remember in the, during our season preview, Steve, where our, like, we weren't sure how like consistent Jake Allen was going to be. Um, and then they struggled early on and then all of a sudden it just changed when they put in Jake Bennington, Jordan Bennington in, um, so I feel like it should go to Jordan Bennington, but I have a feeling... I don't want to discredit uh, Elias Pedersen's season. Um, he had the best rookie forward season by far. Uh, the next closest is your guys, Brady Kachuk, who had 45 points in 71 games, which isn't bad, obviously. But um, Elias Pedersen had 66 points in 71 games. That's um, that's phenomenal for a rookie, especially on a Vancouver team that doesn't have um, you know, a lot of great players other than Brock Besser. Um, like Elias Pedersen was the best player on the team, um, wire to wire. 
uh, for for Vancouver. So um, I would, and, and like when when Pedersen was injured, like Vancouver was horrible. Um, so so like Pedersen was single handedly already like the franchise player um, in his first year. So I do. I, I just feel like Jordan Bennington deserves it more just because of what he was doing, but just because of the fact that he only played half the year just leans credence to the fact that I think it would probably go to Pedersen um, instead. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I thought we were going to have a bit more of a debate on this because I thought you definitely hands down would go with Peterson. No. Um, I, I'm still going to go with Bennington, though. Um, and even though I, I, I do agree why I think your logic is right that Pearson will win, I, I think Jordan Bennington is the right choice because there's just something about the way he goes about his business, the way he plays the game that makes everyone around the team feel more comfortable on the ice and on the bench. If the Blues were a good team, they could make it with anyone in goal. Yep. And they had a missing ingredient they desperately needed to contend. Bennington's somebody that comes in halfway through the regular season, changes the overall complexion of this team, how the teams look at the Blues now. And you can argue, oh, Jordan Bennington played on the better team, and and I'm guessing that's where Pearson's probably going to get most of his votes because the Canucks aren't as good as the Blues are. But the fact is, at the start of 2019, the Blues were one of the worst teams, and if I'm not mistaken, worse than Vancouver. Yeah. And now they're in the final four. They they made the playoffs because of Jordan Bennington. And in fact, they almost won the Central. They almost won the Central Division on the final day of the regular season. Forget the fact they made the playoffs. They almost won their division. And it's largely because Jordan Bennington played lights out. He should win the Calder card now. And if, yeah. if, if Bennington wasn't nominated, for sure it would be Elias Peterson. But because Bennington's up there, he's going to yeah, I said Pedersen, but you're right, it's Peterson. Uh, yeah, Brian, are you going to go against the grain here or not? No, it's, it's, it's very Steve Mason-esque. It's definitely going to be Jordan Bennington. Just when a goalie comes in and makes that much difference as a rookie, even though he's a bit of an older rookie, which I feel like people never take into account. That's a good like, point, too, yeah. Because Pedersen is what, 19? Let me look here. Um, you can continue sure going. 19, and I feel like there should be more weight put in the fact that... Uh, Bennington is 25. 25 years old. Yeah. It's the same thing, slight uh, off-topic, when they were talking about in baseball. Like, Aaron Judge, this young kid in his rookie year, we've never seen him do stuff. He was 25 in his rookie season. Like, yep. let's not act like he's fresh out of high school. To so be... I think that is not unimportant. He's like, I don't know, like six months away from not even being eligible. For right. The award. So, but credit to him. He came in. He balled out all year. He has continued to ball out. He might just ball them all the way out to a Stanley Cup. So, I mean, I know that you're not supposed to take that into account, but ultimately yeah. it definitely does get the playoffs. Yeah. About. It does come into the question, the equation. It's impossible to just ignore it. So, but I do think he'll get it. I I would have gone with Pedersen, to be completely honest, but I think that Bennington's definitely going to get it. Uh, Pedersen is actually 20 years old. Or Peterson, I guess we should say. Um, is Still 20. younger than Jordan Bennington. 
Yeah, but also, like, to that point, though, like, goalies take a while to develop as opposed to forwards. So I think there is there is uh, something to that, where, like, a goalie at 25 is pretty much like a 20-year-old forward, um, if, you, if you take into account of how hard the position of goaltending is versus being a center. Um, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Pearson played in the league with, like, grown men. Yeah, that's true, too. He was in his um, the year after his draft year, I think. He was in the Swedish oh, league, yeah. Yeah. Um, He's crazy. I also want to say uh, Darlene was also pretty good too. Um, he had forty four points in eighty two games, um, which is very good for a defenseman, but um, just wasn't enough. Um, I, I also wanted to, yeah, Miro Heskinen was robbed. And so was and Brady Kachuk. I I would have been okay if he was nominated. Um, it's, and, honestly, it's honestly a tough list. Like, yeah. it, it's not strong as strong as some other draft classes, but like it's pretty good. Yeah, like, the top six like could Carter Hart. Be Carter Hart's the other one too. Yeah. Um, that that I thought was nominated, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's go to the Selkie here. Um, this is gonna be interesting because it's. Uh, my my you know Ber- my Bergeron versus your guys Mark Stone. Um, no, he's not ours anymore. Yeah, I but I mean he. But you Once still take ownership Bergeron. over over those guys. Uh, you you take ownership over Car- Carlson. Um, I well, assume I you still take love ownership. Mark Stone, but it uh, it's just it, I still can't believe they freaking traded him. I, uh, I, I still can't believe they did it. I see what you mean. So uh, this is an interest, and then uh, the other one is uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, this is an interesting one because I feel like if Bergeron played a full year, uh, this would be Bergeron's uh, award, like hands down. But since he didn't, um, I feel like the edge goes to either Ryan O'Reilly and Mark Stone. The thing that's interesting about Mark Stone being nominated is it's this is this has been usually like the center's award and Mark Stone is of course a winger. So I I am part of me is kind of rooting for Mark Stone to win this just because just to break the mold that like a Selkie winner doesn't have to be a center. Um but I have a feeling that Bergeron's not going to win this just because of that whole like he only played like twenty less games than everyone else. Um, so, like, if he wasn't injured in the middle of the season, then I feel like Bergeron would win this. Um, I think Stone's going to win just because he played most of the season on an awful team, and he still was so good. Yeah, he was still just his Mark Stoney self. God, I. I think that it would be between like normally I would give the edge to Bergeron just because he is far and away the best defensive forward in the league Yep. and the best defensive forward we've seen for a very long time he is definitely the, the standard but if he went to do yeah. what he did on a team as legendarily bad as the these sends were and to continue it in Vegas is just remarkable. Like that guy is so good. 
Yeah, like he 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 was an impact player on a really bad team, comes over to a really good team, makes them even better. Master of takeaways, very good on the back check, makes the offense alongside him better. Even if Bergeron plays a full season, I would still go with Mark Stone. And I'm sure Brett would fight me on that, but I, I, I've i said it. I will fight you on that. I've it many, many times. Mark Stone is the best two-way player in this game, not named Patrice Bergeron. Okay, I won't fight you on that then, since you said not named Patrice Bergeron. Um, but, uh... Wait, has a chance to usurp Patrice Bergeron for being the best two-way forward in the league for one year. So. Yeah, yeah. I believe if Bergeron were to win this uh, this year, um, he surpasses Bob Gainey as the most Selkies won uh, most Selkie trophies, um, which would be cool. But I, I think you guys are right. I think because Bergeron was injured, um, it wouldn't. Uh, it's he's not going to win this one. Um, it's yeah, either Stone or O'Reilly. There are going to be several chances beyond this year for Bergeron to win more Selkies. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this, won't, this will not be the last one. That he Assuming does. he's uh, fully healthy for if he can, if he, that that's the biggest question is if he can play yeah. eighty-two games, uh, then then he has it. Um, and then the Jack Adams, which is actually kind of like an interesting one because there's a couple of snubs here that we'll get into, but. Um, Barry Trotz, uh, John Cooper, and Craig Berube um, are the coaches, are the Jack Adams nominations. Um, I wasn't sure what his first, Berube's first name was, but Barry Trotz, of course, Islanders, uh, John Cooper, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Berube's St. Louis Blues. Um, I think this is going to Trotz um, if it's not. Uh, just because, like, no one uh, expected the Islanders to be as good as they were. Um, and, he, you know, he especially after losing uh, John Tavares. Um, and even if they did have Tavares, their goaltending was, like, in shambles. And, like, he made... And the all of a sudden, the Islanders were the best goaltending team in the league with uh, both... Um, you know, Leonard and Thomas Grice, um, whoever was in net, it didn't matter. Um, they were able to keep them in games and even make them into the, uh, into the playoffs and being a legitimate team in the playoffs. So um, I think Trotz wins this, although um, Cooper, I wouldn't be annoyed if Cooper won um, just because like that was a, you know, a, like a very good regular season they won they got like 130 points or something like that the lightning um and so that deserves credit um we all thought the lightning were going to be good which might be the knock on him but um but to get them to like a historic level um then that i think uh that's where you're like okay um he's he's a good coach there Barube, I'm a little bit concerned about, I'm confused about, because, like, like, they struggled at the beginning of the year, um, and then all of a sudden, like, as soon as they put in Bennington in, uh, the Blues all of a sudden went in. So, like, that's all he did, really. Like, the Blues were, like, if, if they didn't struggle um, in October, November, and December, like, Barube wouldn't be on here. 
Um, and yeah, like, like sure. he's he's responsible for the Blues like losing that. He almost got fired. Um, you know, in December, so if you had him put in Jordan Biddington in. So it's like, uh, so it's a little strange to me to put that in. I would also, uh, I want to take credit to, um, before I get your guys' opinions on this, Rod Brindamore deserves credit on here, um, as well as Bruce Cassidy, um, just because of how many injuries the Bruins had, um, and, and they managed to be like the third best team. Also Bill Peters as well. Uh, for what he did in Calgary. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, who do you guys have to win? And um, I'm sure I'm missing other coaches that were snubbed. I think it usually it's, in theory, it's supposed to go to the best coach. Mm-hmm. It's not going to. The Jack Adams always goes to the coach who whose team didn't suck as much as everyone ever. Uh, yeah. As much as everyone thought they were going to, it's suck. definitely a silly award for sure. Yeah, it's a stupid award. It's almost a kiss of death because yeah. how many times you see this guy won the yeah. Jack Adams? We talk about that all the time. Years ago. Yeah. So I think it's gonna go to Barry Trotz. Not a kiss of death candidate for sure. He is just a damn good coach. Yeah, he is and a good coach. He did wonderful things at the Islanders. I don't think he was the best coach. I don't think you can do what the Tampa Bay Lightning did and not have a remarkable coach. Granted, there's a lot of talk. A lot of people wanted Cooper fired after the playoffs. Right. But this isn't encountering the playoffs. Which, yeah, I know. Which I think is foolish, but Cooper is is as good a coach as as you're going to find. He was the best coach, but he will not win. It's going to go to Barry Trotz because... Again, it's whoever's team didn't suck as much as they thought. That's how Paul McClain won it in, when he was with Ottawa. Everyone <laughs> said the Sens are going to be terrible, and they won a playoff round. Right. It's true. Um, Steve, Barry what do you... Trotz, congrats. Yeah. I don't know. Does Barry Trotz have one? I don't think he, he might. I don't think well, he does, he though. If he doesn't have one, then it's going to be a lifetime achievement you know, award, yeah. even though he does deserve it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he does, because... Because like you were saying, it's usually like the most improved team award, basically. Um, but yeah, I don't think he does. He may have it when he was on Nashville, but I don't think he had it in he Washington. Was in Nashville forever. Right, right. But like when they first started out or something, because he was their first coach. Um, yeah. So so maybe he has it I there. Mean, that's but... only their second. They've only had two. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, are we? What What's your take? Honestly, I don't even know if Barube should even be nominated on this group. Like mm-hmm. Bruce Cassidy and Rick Tockett, you know, you could easily put on this one. list. Rod Brindamore has to be on here. Yeah. Like with Rod Brindamore in Carolina, this was a process that started from day one of the regular season. The whole team needed to buy into his message of winning in order for this hockey club to do much of anything. And they get into the playoffs. We obviously seen how well they've done, but the fact they got into the playoffs with what they had, with the goaltending tandem that they had, is incredible. How Rod Brindamore was able to get this team to buy in. With Craig Berube, I will give him credit for some things, but when he entered the picture, this was before Jordan Bennington was even recalled. Yeah. So I would argue most of the success that the Blues had was thanks to Bennington. 
and while Berube deserves some credit, I think most of the credit should be with Bennington on, on how well this Blues team did. Whereas in Carolina and Rob Brindamore, it was a total team effort and they needed a good coach like Brindamore to get them on the right path. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter. Barry, Barry Trotz better win this award or it's going to be highway robbery. The Islanders had questions galore in goal, on defense, lost their best player to free agency. They had a lot of assets in the in the system, but not NHL-ready assets to help them take charge in the NHL standings in the here and now. But And this team somehow finishes second in the Metro, almost finishes first in the Metro, sweeps Pittsburgh in four straight. And the goalie tandem that was full of question marks took home the Jennings Trophy for fewest goals against the NHL this year. Nobody yeah. expected that. Nobody expected the Islanders to be this good. Barry Trost deserves to win. If it goes to John Cooper, even on an historic Tampa Bay team, I would not be upset if Islanders fans ride it. Because yeah. their, their guy deserves to win. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Uh, so it seems like we're all in the same opinion here on that. Uh, we don't have time for any of the other awards, but let's go straight to the 67s update for you, Steve. Got the game on right now. Yeah, how's, how's it looking? They're up one to nothing. Noel Hoffemeyer scored from center ice. It okay, was the, the funniest, funniest goal I've seen in a very long time. Uh, hopefully, that's, hopefully that's a good omen for them. And they yeah, can, they can they're gonna win. A lot of luck. Well, before I get to the 67s, I'm gonna list a bit of more bad luck because uh, rem remember that uh, COO they hired there, Brian Nick Fruskowski. Sure do. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, after after that, he was hired in May of 2018. Almost exactly a year to the day he was hired, he leaves the team. So now they're looking for a new COO. They're looking for a president of hockey operations, and they're looking for a new head coach. So wow. uh, honestly, like Nick Kruskowski didn't have um, the kind of brand name that Tom Anselmi had when he joined the team. And Tom Anselmi lasted for about as long as uh, Nick Ruskowski did maybe a bit less than that mm -hmm. and Nick Ruskowski comes in no one really knows too much about him and you know seems like a pretty nice guy um Brian I believe you've met him in person before he, he do, do you correct. think do, do you think he was starting uh, to get somewhere with the fan base a little bit not really I think um I think he was tasked with selling the messaging on the rebuild Mm -hmm. And on mass, Sens fans have spat in the face of that because I think they've done a terrible job marketing this rebuild, and I think it's just it's very poor marketing that the Sens have done with this and tried to diminish the players that they have shipped out of town and like the, you hear things like think of this in the context of a rebuild. It's like no, don't do that. Think of it as you just traded my favorite player. Yeah and got not very much for him. Your job is to do a much better job of selling, selling me hope and selling me hope for the future and selling me on remaining invested in this team. And I think they've done an awful job of that uh, this season. And I think it showed with 
severe lack of interest in this team. Like, I can handle if the team's bad. The 67's just scored yes. again, by the way. Um, so I can handle the team being bad. I've been through bad seasons. But when I don't even have hope that their record, like, even if they're good, if I have no hope that it matters at all, mm-hmm. then you fail. And I thought... I don't know. It's too. He was never. He wasn't here long enough for us to really get a, a accurate view of the picture because it was a very small sample size. But I thought, I did not think he did that great of a job. I thought the messaging on the rebuild was not very good, and uh, I just, it's just one more thing, right? It's just added on the list of bad things that have happened to the Sens. The yeah. fact that they got in a guy that no one really heard of. He only lasted a year. That doesn't really reflect well on the organization, does it? Well, the best example I can think of is that it seemed like no one was on the same page with the messaging. Yeah. If you want to use, if you're going to stick to one message, even if it's a message that I, as a fan, don't really agree with, that's fine. Do that. But for God's sake, make sure everyone's on the same page. The big, the best example I can think of, and Brett, I don't know if you actually know about this, but after uh, the Sens traded Mark Stone, the Sens, our our local sports station here, opened the phone lines up for people to call and be sad, and they took calls for nine hours. Yes, yeah, Steve told me remember, about that. I don't remember if it was that day or the day after, but Pierre Dorian came out. In an interview on TSN 1200, and said that trading Mark Stone was the happiest mo- was the proudest he's ever been as a GM. Yeah, I was stunned because it it felt like a, a slap in the face as a Sense fan. You have this guy that is it's the easiest thing in the world to sign it, and you trade him. You got Eric Branson. Congrats. He looks like he's going to be great. But Should you didn't also get be reminded much. that Mark Stone signed half an hour after the trade with Vegas. Yeah, and verbally. They, yeah, and that was the proudest day. And yeah, that's like, crazy. If everyone's on the same page in the organization, that doesn't happen. Like, could you imagine if that happened in Toronto? Did- Do you think Kyle? Do imagine if that happens in Toronto after they trade? I don't know. Or even let's go let's uh, let's Did do it? Boston. Imagine if they trade, I don't know. Let's say Astronaut. Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron, yeah, that would be pretty bad let's too. Let's just say they trade Bergeron, and the GM comes out and says, "This is the happiest I've ever been." Yeah, as a GM. Well, I mean, it kind of did happen with uh, Joe Thornton and Tyler Sagan too. Um, That's right. Yeah, it did happen with uh, Tyler Sagan where. Then they have this like Bruins documentary of behind yeah, the bees, the and they picture. they show like all the like GMs, all the people there, just saying like, oh yeah, Sagan was just not tough enough or something like he wasn't, he, he didn't fit, fit the, the Bruins picture. mold, like that means anything. Um, but like they were trying to justify trading him, um, like that. But like the Sens yeah. are in a in a spot where yeah. they need to be controlling also, the message. I thought so desperately. I thought um doing a terrible job. Going back to that, didn't I thought Melnick was the one who said that he was happy uh Mark Stone was treated, not Dorian. I guess it was both. 
I don't remember if I thought Melnick like, ever like didn't like I thought like Melnick was like gave a thumbs up when he was asked about Mark Stone or something like that. Oh, he was asked on the par- he was he was ambushed on Parliament Hill. Right, right, right. And he didn't actually give a thumbs up. Oh, he said I think it's a great day for the organization. Right, right, right. That's right. I, I truly don't know, but I don't. He said that's a question for the GM. I think this is a great move for the uh, organization. Okay. Something. It wasn't. I didn't realize. Okay, so Dorian also typical, said that too. It was typical nonsense, but it wasn't yeah, as heavy as this is the proudest I've ever been as yeah. the GM. Anyways, like, that is something you can't say. I think yeah. When it comes to the Branston trade, the fact they were able to trade Mark Stone and get a quality player in Eric Branston, that's something to be proud of. What's not something to be proud of As is opposed to the Eric Carlson. the best two-way players in the freaking league. Yep. I don't think it's something to be proud of. When you're trading a guy like Mark Stone, you should be getting, like, an absolute bounty. And they got, what, a pick, a prospect, and a bum. No disrespect to Oscar, Oscar Lindbergh, but he's a bum, let's be honest. He's not a very good hockey player. Can we? Uh, and, and we're supposed to celebrate that. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah, go well, to. Uh, can we? Uh, I, I've, we're we're past the two hour mark. Can okay, we? So I'll, I'll I'll wrap I'll wrap it up here. Um, the good news for Ottawa is Brad Shaw's reportedly interested in the Sens coaching job. Uh, John Toro was asked about Brad Shaw, and he said, uh, in his opinion, the Sens what they need is, is a teacher and Brad is a very intellectual mind. One of the smartest people he's and, known. So, so that's good. And um, even better, Bradshaw said that he was interested in it. Although yeah, yeah, like, he says yeah. he's interested, very yeah. interested. He is a good sign. He's yeah, I know. Someone that wants to be here. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to be a coach of the senators. So, um, I'm of the opinion. I would like to see Jacques Martin come back because he's yeah. interested. He's the best coach the Sens have ever had. And I just think you need someone that knows how to work with the current brass right. that's in place. Yeah. And I think I think that's the guy. Anyways. Yeah, definitely. Um, 67s, yeah, assuming they win game six, we'll have game seven Monday night. So hopefully they win both. Uh, and a quick junior hockey note, the Ottawa Junior Senators back in the RBC Cup Canada's National Junior A Championship uh, just last year appeared uh, in the semifinals and lost. The reason I point that out is because in recent memory, there have been two teams in the CCHL, the Carlton Place Canadians, now the Ottawa Junior Senators, who have made the RBC Cup in back-to-back seasons, which kind of goes to show you, um, I guess, where the CCHL is at, how they've been developing. Canadians made back-to-back finals. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it definitely just goes to show you how good that league is, the state of the league, and how everyone's just pushing each other. And it's definitely great for local hockey in Ottawa when you can do that at the national level. Yeah, so, that's cool. uh, any thoughts on your Bruins, Brett? Uh, no, none lingering thoughts. Just uh, I hope we can win this series. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, the Hurricanes aren't like um, – they're not like a terrible team, obviously, but they're not, you know, a great team either. Um, they're, beatable. they're beatable yeah for sure um but uh we'll see so i i just i'm not ex- i'm not i'm like just knowing how these playoffs have gone i don't want it to end like the lightning like the lightning's en- season ended or um or any of these other teams ended seasons ended um you know so you never know i i would not be surprised if the hurricanes uh beat the bruins in this series but 
I'm I'm remaining hopeful. We'll see. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, sorry for it being very long, but since we have guests on, it usually takes a little bit longer. Um, usually it doesn't matter, but we're, we're past the two hour mark right now. So, um, anyways, uh, kudos for you guys, for any of you guys listening who stuck by it. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, or you can catch us on our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can, uh, we're on SoundCloud. Are um, we're also on iTunes and uh, Spotify. I think we're on all the other podcast networks as well. Uh, give us a good rating if you uh, like this podcast. Um, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Brian. Um, you're you're very uh, intelligent hockey fan here. Um, Thanks so, for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah we we uh, we love to have you back on the show sometime. Where can people follow you on Twitter and social media? You can find me just about everywhere at Brian, B-R-I-A-N-P-F-R-A-S-E-R. Nice. All right. Excellent. Great. Um, thanks again. Um, enjoy hockey, everyone. Um, uh, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 172 of the Lace Em Up podcast.